Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and I reckon this is episode 258. Uh, thanks to Tea Leaf Tea and Yesty Boys, as always. This is a conversation with Caitlin Smith. She is a poet and a musician, a singer, a songwriter, a covers artist, a pianist. Uh, and I've loved Caitlin's music for oh, 20 odd years, and uh, this was the first time I'd ever met her. I recorded this a couple of months ago. She was in Wellington, she's Auckland based. Uh, she was in Wellington for the Cuba Dupa Festival, and um, I managed to get her. Uh, to come around and have a chat, which was great because she's someone that's been on the list. I've wanted to talk to her for the podcast for quite some time. She's got a new album out. We talk about that. That album was had a long gestation. Um, she's on tour around the country at the moment. We sort of preview that. But we have a big chat about all sorts of things, mostly poetry and music, mostly music uh, and songwriting and uh, and what it takes to, to put music out in this world. But um, there's lots of other things we get into. Um, Caitlin's legally blind, so we talk about that and, and vision impairment, blindness. Um, we talk about a bunch of things, and she loves Joan as policewoman. So halfway through, I sort of dropped that. Oh yeah, well, she actually sat exactly where you're sitting. I interviewed her for the podcast, so we had a big chat about that. And uh, Caitlin goes and plays my out of tune piano and bangs out a bit of music including some Jonah's Policewoman so you'll hear a bit of that um, yeah love this conversation love meeting Caitlin I love everything that she does I think she's an amazing talent the Pip that we mention several times I feel like I don't need to spell this out but that's Pip Adam who lives down the road from me who's been a podcast guest she's a, a friend of Caitlin so she gets mentioned a few times and, and Caitlin was a guest on her, on Pip's podcast recently uh, I'll probably put a link to that and I'll certainly put a link to the Jonah's Policewoman podcast for anyone that missed that and wants to hear it in connection with this. But I hope you enjoy this. This is me talking with the fantastic, the amazing Caitlin Smith. We've only just met. You walked in the door and this is the first time we've ever met. But we know each other a little bit online and I don't know. I mean, I've been listening to you for years. I mean, I used to work in a CD store and sell um, your albums and the fondue set and all of that. You know, so I, I've been aware of your music for 20 years. But we, I don't know how we met, we just met online, like people meet online through Facebook, I suppose. You work in music and I write about music, so we... Absolutely, we, and... We know of each other. and have got mutual friends in common, yeah, that's Pip right. just lives down the road. That's right, Hi, yeah, Pip. yeah, yeah, yeah. You did a great podcast with Pip. Oh, I love... Well, she, we've known each other since we were yeah, 12. Yeah, yeah. And, um... I love that, I mean, I, listen, I mean, yeah, Pip's a friend and I love her podcast, but I mm. really loved that episode, that was great. It's, it's really interesting because, um... For me, I live a very artistic life. Mm. Um, autistic? Artistic. And I write, I was writing poems, which then kind of became mm -mm. songs when I was 12, right? Mm -mm. And me and my friend Tess, uh, Tessa Laird, who now um, actually teaches art theory in, um, in Melbourne University, you know, she's not coming back to New Zealand because New Zealand doesn't necessarily, apart from in Wellington... <laughs> bear with, bear with, doesn't necessarily have that celebration of, of music included mm -hmm. within the arts, and it's become co-opted and commercialised within the industry side of things. So one of the big, um, I've got massive big dreams um, of actually setting up and establishing peer support networks globally, not only for blind pride, because I'm legally mm. blind, mm. Um, but also for for songwriters because we have specific needs as songwriters that poets don't have. Like I belong to the poetry community mm, as you mm. you do as well. Mm, mm. And the thing about it is, there's nothing 
commercial commercial about it. Yeah. It's not a, a poetry in, a poetry industry. Yeah. And actually, on the CD, I've included some of yeah. my poems. But you know what? Being in Wellington just totally brings it back up again because mm-hmm. you know the the theme around this album, this artifact that's taken me 13 years to make, mm. and did receive partial Creative New Zealand funding to actually indicate, yes, this is an artifact, has this the braille on the cover and the tactile labyrinth, and the labyrinth idea was around journeying, was around the pilgrimage, and when we were all locked down, mm. that became the inner pilgrimage, right? But that's what poetry is, and especially when you are, when you are, Blind, which mm. I include legally blind because 90, mm. 90% of blind people have some useful vision. It's only 10% that are totally blind. And I have to constantly advocate and push that forward mm-hmm. because people are going low vision, partially sighted, and it's like, oh, hell no. You know, we've got to get, like, deaf, which is super proud. You've got tap, capital D deaf and little d deaf. Mm. And they really define their culture and they're very proud of it. Um, <clears throat> but with that... You know, I've, I've actually flung myself in all directions simultaneously. But that pilgrimage, I've actually found is really useful for art. That's the reason people do residencies. It's the mm. people, the reason people, as soon as I come down to Wellington, I get pretty fickled with my uh, with my <laughs> writing because I live with my friends in Sugarloaf Road. I mean, mm-hmm. how's that for assonance, you know? Mm. Rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And they kind of live in the house with the turret, too. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. absolutely amazeballs. But... You know, I want to... We looked at... Before we bought this yeah. place, we looked at Sugarloaf Road. thought it was a cool place. Like a cool... There was a house there that we're into. Oh, yeah. And it didn't... And it did, but it was a cool street. Yeah, yeah. And how's this for sh- uh, smallness? Um, you know, Alistair was referenced and is friends with and has worked with Pip before because yeah, of right. his structural engineering background and the language. She was she was working on... Mm. I'm working on a building, that book. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which I love. I yeah. think it's an amazing book. Um, so... Yeah, back to the um, back to the dreams mm. of actually somehow negotiating something along the lines of the recovery movements, you know, twelve step program where you actually not that we'd ha- need a program for recovering songwriters, but just in terms of support, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I'm onto something. But you know, the thing is, I sort of gave up. I'm clean and sober for twelve years and uh, over twelve years, and I cross addicted to tea. Because I absolutely needed to, but good God, you've got so many creators. And it's just survival. Mm -hmm. It literally is survival. You need something to get you through a gig. It needs a lot of energy. Especially, you know, I've just done Mm. Kimaduba with the Mm. new telepathics. Oh, Mm. whoa. That needs, Mm. you know, sort of um, a lot of chemical enhancement to actually get you in that (laughs) state. But I have to do that with just green tea or or a possible sip of Red Bull, which is what I did. But... You know, creativity is is that, that altered state, which I think, as a blind person, I'm already in an altered state. Like, I believe that my vision is probably shit that people would pay good money to, you know, have tabs of acid <laughs> yeah, to actually yeah, create. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Not that I have any color, right? But mm. I definitely have, you know, that sense of the world is very, very much um, heightened and available to me on a deeper sensory level because vision dominates. It's 90% of the stimuli that sighted mm. people have, mm. 40% of the brain. And in fact, that's another thing that we're, we're going for. Me and Ari, a friend of mine in Auckland, who's an amazing advocate for retina youth, even though he's 27 now, um, it's very youthful. Um, he and I are wanting to set up 
site dependent, which was a dream of mine that was abandoned, jettisoned mm. 20 or 30 years ago, mm. because the climate was not available to us. People did not give a shit about um, disability. Mm -hmm. Ableism is still one of the last isms to be properly dealt with. But even so, at least there is more consciousness around that. But what I want to set up, what we want to set up, is more uh, audio descriptions, availability of art within uh, institutions like art galleries, museums, mm. um, but also support for blind artists. Because, you know, we're not all just, uh, you know, sculptors. <laughs> Hello, yeah, yeah, is it yeah. me you're looking for, Lionel Richie video? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's fun. it's interesting you sa starting with this and talking about this because I I just very recently met a woman who's um, low vision like just it's it's just happened to her in okay. the last couple of years so yes. she's adapting to it and cool. she's very um, you know immersed in the in the in the world of yes. of understanding what the options are and she was saying to me you know doing a podcast you're instantly a person I'm interested in because that's something I can connect with because mm. you know I can't read anymore I mean I can read with a magnifying glass and a large print book sure. but I can't read how I used to so I'm sure. into audio books and yes. you know podcasts have become a thing and then she said you know you're putting a book out are you going to do an audio book yes. version of it and you know the blind community of New Zealand need That's needs right. things like we this do. and so I started thinking about that going you know this is cool like yeah. this is you know, for anyone who's in doubt of, oh, well, if I did an audio book of my poems, would people care? You, you've got to start oh, thinking, yeah. well, actually, there is a community that would care that that might not have known about the book or, or it might not have been accessible to them. Exactly. And yeah. there's other people as well. Yeah. Just think of all the dyslexics out exactly. there. Exactly. Think yeah. of all the people who have, you know, it's there's always cross-benefits. Yeah. But it's also that... I mean, will someone think of the lonely salesmen that drive around the country in their cars? You know, they need something, oh, you know, whatever. Everyone, everyone's embracing audiobooks and <laughs> yeah. you can do yoga to it yeah. and podcasts is just, it's actually yeah. where we're at because we're hands-free as well. Yeah. And not everyone wants to look at a screen because a lot of people are uptaking, obviously, their reading becomes mm. a Kindle thing or an on-screen yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. I can't handle the screen. Yeah. In fact, looking on my phone, my nose usually presses the screen and I'm screwed. <laughs> but, I mean, I've got along, I said before, the poetry along yeah. with um, yeah. a poster of poetry along with a poster of lyrics. Now, that's mm. a teeny tiny font and it's not going to be accessible for a lot of people and I don't trust the page. So my dream is to actually have a subscription of poetry from my website. Anyone mm. interested in helping me with the technology, please mm. let me know, caitlinsmith.com. <laughs> anyway, but the thing is, I prefer my poetry as spoken word yeah yeah as i'm sure many of the poets out there sure. i'm not into slamming people with my poems yeah i'm not into directly provoking them with touching on issues that are traumatizing you know that's not my bag but definitely the david eggleton's and the yeah you yeah. know and the sam hunts were yeah. the people who impacted me most yeah yeah because they're so sonic and you know my world is predominantly sonic yeah but it's also the other senses mm. And, you know, that's the reason why the tactile, ha, huh, and I joked about actually getting a, a dating app for blind people called Blinder, <laughs> which was scratch and sniff. But that backfired horribly because, um, <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I, I won't tell you why it backfired horribly, but I, well, Could no, I will. I, I got into a, 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 actually a really a nasty relationship, uh, but he smelt good and um, a, 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 actually got nodules from screaming so hard to be heard. And it was a really abusive situation. And um, I did actually get interviewed by, like, the Herald or something. 
for being single and I my <clears throat> my point on, on that was it's better to be single than in a an abusive or toxic mm. relationship mm, right mm, and mm. I really felt that message needed to be uh, put forward but you know that devoicing is something I'm really interested in as as we all are mm, actually mm. devoiced by the fact that people aren't listening anymore mm. which is another of the sort of the co-pop of the CD which talks about it in the liner notes mm. <clears throat> which is deep listening and in, in the intimacy of listening like you'd know this from music like the common um consciousness right now the mind uh, the the sort of uh the view of the commercial side of music in uh, no bridges the album is dead mm. you need to have everything on spotify and downloadable and available for free the vocals have to come in within nine seconds uh, you know, there's yeah, all yeah, the music the roles. trends. Yeah, yeah, all these new roles. But they're trends. They're yeah, just fashion. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, think of what a chorus used to be. That mm. doesn't exist anymore, right? Mm, mm. It's actually quite a long thing, which isn't a chorus, because the chorus couldn't sing that, because the chorus is sung by the whole. Mm. So the group's just standing around going, what was that? What does that? What, what, what does she want me to sing? Because I haven't got 16 lines <laughs> available mm, of mind space. Mm. You know, but those kind of things, we don't necessarily do the... Um, the really good high fidelity mm, this mm. is my world i'm completely immersed in a multi-dimensional space my eyes are closed i'm lying on my back in a dark room i'm listening to this album for the first time that kind of shit is what i want to sort of bring us back to yeah yeah, yeah. it's old school well, there are these i mean you you came in here and um well you came in here and played my out of tune piano and and played uh leonard Cohen, which was what was wonderful to hear that piano sound almost good um, and <laughs> which which was all down to you, and and you and you chose the actual right song. But shortly after that, you started talking about Jason Isbell. Now he's a good example of someone who is um, from that old world of music. I mean, he could be you know a modern day Crosby, Stills and Nash or something, right? Like that, Jackson Brown. That's sort of more where he's coming from. Absolutely, and, and he he writes so beautifully yeah. about songwriting. Like he, yeah. actually, Jim Lauderdale, who I managed to meet when I was wow. silent, recovering from from nodules. Incidentally, I wrote about it. Yeah. I wrote about the recovery for New Zealand Musician Magazine. Mm -hmm. I have a column I've been doing for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, called Finding Your Voice, which is ironic because yeah. you know I that's our quest as artists anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I have. I don't keep yeah. up with New Zealand musician, but you've been doing that column for a long time. Yeah, I've, I've got I've read, sixty-two now. I can say I've read columns. several of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I cover quite a few issues, but that one mm. about recovering from nodules. So I met Jim Lauderdale, wow. who's yeah. written with. He was doing support for Nick Lowe. Yeah. And he's written with. He's whoa! Talk about unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a guy! There's oh a cool documentary gosh. about him that yeah. was made. Um, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw it recently. I, I mean, had it's to pay a few for years it. old. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah, yeah. I just love his obsession with Graham Parsons because yes. I'm obsessed with Graham Parsons yeah. as well. Yeah, well, how could you not be once you've heard him, eh? Or heard, it's my, even heard of him? Yeah, it's my conjecture that he wrote Wild Horses. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we agree on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I thought I was a radical by no, saying no, that. No, 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 no. But it's just. Well, you know, the Rolling Stones have a. A pretty interesting checkered history of basically stealing. Stealing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's there overtly in the sixties. Sure. But even in the seventies, I mean, I think sure. I think it's the reason Mick Taylor left the band. He kind of wasn't getting his due. He was yeah. coming up with lots of riffs, and they were basically saying, "Yeah, cool. That that'll be the next Jagger Richards song." And it's like, "Well, hang on. I just showed you how to play that." So you know. So there was there was none of that, and and 
Ron Woods has got a couple of co-writing credits, but they're usually really um, backhanded compliments, like there's an amazing song called Hey Negrita on Black and Blue, and it's Jagger Richards brackets inspiration by Ronnie Woods. And it's like, what that actually means is that incredible fucking riff that that song sits on (laughs) came to you because Ronnie played it, you know, and so instead he gets inspiration. Oh, it's not yeah, cool. I mean, I know cool. that's actually a very, yeah. that's what will be something that's very much about the support that I yes. believe is needed for yeah. songwriters yeah. because, you know, a lot of plagiarism actually happens within academia. It happens a lot. In fact, there was this guy who recently told me Sam Hunt had had some problems with him because he was plagiarizing him. And I said, cite it, dude. Mm. I mean, I had to tell this guy, he's actually in his 80s. I had to just say, cite it mm. because it's so much better. Like, I, I want to cite so many people and and frequently do like one of my favorite songwriters is a woman called um jessica hoop oh yeah j-e-s-c oh Oh, and on pip's podcast right so um i love i love her she was um tom waits's babysitter yeah exactly yeah yeah what a a gig yeah (laughs) and um but she's actually a woman in her own right she's of course super super crazy but she cites um i think alan watt she's she cites a lot of people it's really interesting that she you know, you, it's almost like footnoted. Mm. But that's another of those dreams within the support network. Ooh, ooh. Because um, because I teach songwriting. I've taught songwriting and singing together, mm. like on, on mm. a, a, a sort of a double helix. And because um, <clears throat> I believe they feed into each other. Like if you develop yourself as a songwriter, you'll, you'll need a voice to carry that. And so too, if you develop your voice, you've got more range to play with as mm. a songwriter mm. in terms of expression and, and pitch. But... What I want to do is interview songwriters about songwriting because there is so much mythology around there. Probably even so with poets, but poets are way more happy to support. Um, like Guy Clark is a huge, huge inspiration to me. I love him as a songwriter. Mm. And he and Suzanne, Susanna were just basically holding space for, um, you know, uh, not Justin Townsville, uh, Towns Van Zandt, yeah. right? And and Steve Earle and mm, all the other mm. people who were gathered around that s- space. Yeah. And they would just sit around reciting poetry for each other and helping each other and inspiring each other. Mm. But you have to create it. But you also have to understand that process, which is the deepening. And I, I want to write multiple books. One of my books is just purely on, or I want to make it about, the process of how you take a poem and you make it a song. Because I find that a really mm. interesting process. Yeah, totally. You know, and I'd like to show it almost for those side of people in, in kind of time-lapse photography of how you would gain something and then and then lose a whole verse and then gain a, gain a word or a line and then, you know, how things just with a song is way different to my poetic expression. Um, I, I don't call myself a poet because it's just total wankery. Um, and it's, I don't think anyone can make a full-time job of it necessarily. It's a hard um, term to come to grips with <laughs> and give yourself, isn't it? Mm. I, I, do, I, I feel like I never called myself a poet until maybe last year when the book came out. Ha, like cool. that that was the legitimizing. And I, I still... I don't think I need to call myself that. You know, it's not a... I don't feel like I earned that mantle, but I think it made sense to say, well, I'm a poet because you can literally go and buy my poetry. Mm. And that maybe that was the thing. And maybe people feel like that about, you know, music. And huh. some some have. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a musician. Oh, where can I get your stuff? You know, it used to be like right. that. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so I did have that, you know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, for me, it was always just much easier to go, I'm a writer. 
because if I'm not writing a poem, I'm writing a review or a story. Sure. Or, I, or I'm thinking about writing, and thinking about writing is writing. That's right. You know, and often <laughs> often reading is writing. That's right, it's research. That's, yeah, exactly. It's all feeding the well. It's all feeding it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've just, you know, my thing I write down, you know, you walk through the airport when you used to be able to do that and fly overseas, and <laughs> you'd write, you know, and you write on the card. I'd just write writer because that's... What do, do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. So I always put teacher because I didn't want to be orifice searched. I just found it was easier rather than saying artist or writer mm, or musician mm. or something. I just say writer. Because, you know, I, I wear brightly coloured clothing for other people. I can't see it, right? But I do it for other people. And I think that just makes me a walking target for customs. And, yeah, and, right. And, and, and the rubber glove. But I think it's, I th- writing writer is good because they, they generally ask you Mm. in a completely non-suspicious way mm. what that means they actually want to know but, but, but they don't think you're hiding anything they're like oh you know it's, right. it's, it's almost that have you written anything I would have heard of right it's almost but which is quite cool oh what sort of writing do you do you know it, it leads on to a pretty low-key uh, vaguely pleasant conversation that nice can, I'm going to try you, that yeah that you can be that can be artist as wanky Writer yeah. is writer is not. But yeah, and that's <laughs> in, the, in that context, exactly. I mean. But yeah. that also brings up some really interesting questions about how we self-define mm, and mm. our identity, because Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, is all about yeah. that sort of actually having some kind of um, pride, but some kind of sense of self around. Yes, I can claim that moniker. You know, I can be an artist. I can be a writer, and I would cringe. And that's the reason why I am the backseat sort of. Um, underwire in the music bra by teaching, teaching, teaching. And it's it's interesting because COVID really changed things for me. Um, the album came out, but mm. it was invisible. And I'm invisible and invisible for the work that I do and helping other artists who are well-known, invisible in terms of being a blind person and having an invisible disability because I, if I don't use my cane, no one's yeah, going to know yeah. apart from the left wandering eye, you know, and you they're going to go, you don't, you, don't, you don't look like a blind person. You don't present as a blind, blind person to, yeah. the, to people's cliche exactly. idea. Exactly. Can you tell me um, how long you've lived with being legally blind? Is this? Yeah, that's since birth, and yeah. that's another of my sort of um, aspects, I believe, of... of um, of unification of the blind pride movement, listen to that, because I think that people who have recently acquired sight loss um, are actually really scared of having something and then losing it, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to adjust and deal with it. Obviously, the right people for them would be other people who have gone through something similar, like your friend, right? Mm-hmm. So most people um, who are members of the Blind Foundation or who acquire blindness are geriatrically blind, right? Mm-hmm. But for people who have congenital sight conditions like myself, so I was born um, with achromatopsia, meaning I don't have color, 5% in the left eye, 10% in the right, um, extreme light sensitivity and, and astigmatism. So, you know, that's, that's actually a really good hand to be doubt because I have no problem with it at all. I've never known any different. Yeah. And yeah. That's, the, that's the pride bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I don't have any interest whatsoever in color. People are banging on about it all the time, and it's like, knock yourselves out, cool, but it's not all that there is, right? And so when you actually talk <clears throat> to blind people who've never known even vision, you would be way more aware of the bird that just flew past. Mm-hmm. You would just be way more aware of the sound of the room, of how much um, limbic resonance there is, you know, just all of the other senses, and if you are into 
Japanese forest bathing from the <laughs> 1980s. Um, they talk about having 13 human senses, but plants have like 27,000 senses because they have to. And, you know, to live in that heightened sense world without drugs, um, but to actually really deeply, deeply engage, I think that's a that's a, a huge bonus and a benefit. Mm. Like, I actually think my blindness gives me other superpowers. So when do you become aware of it? Because, you know, if, you, if you've had this <laughs> from birth, you know, I, I, you know, I always think about how, you know, most people uh, grow up in this world. Most people you have a conversation with, they're sort of happy with their childhood on some level because they don't know any different, <laughs> unless their childhood is... is Horrific. So I'm 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 trying to phrase this in a similar way. Like, when do you become aware of it? Um, when you can't do shit. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed on the confidence course, and I've never got. But over what that. I mean is, your parents were aware of it. Before yeah, but you. they denied it. Right. And they didn't actually. They okay. um my mother. Um, this is going to sound bad, and and my therapist thinks it's bad, but I completely understand how traumatic it must have been for my mother. But I was misdiagnosed as having Leber syndrome, right. meaning that as a baby I was told, or she was told, <laughs> that I wasn't going to live past the age of 14, I'd have brain damage, uh, kidney failure, um, total blindness, you know, and ultimately death. And so she has told me that she was going to smother me with a pillow. But instead we moved back to New Zealand and, um, and then I got another diagnosis, but I had to self-diagnose in my teens thanks to, um, was it... Um, Oliver Sacks' book, yeah. Island of the Colorblind. Right, yeah. And so then that was, you know, I was forced <laughs> from the age of one and a half to wear glasses that actually blinded me, that did not help in the slightest because the only thing I could use by way of how they were interpreting my condition mm. was magnifying glasses on stalks, which is only going to work for reading. So I don't, it's not going to help me for general, that's the yeah. reason I'm not wearing yeah. glasses now, and the reason why people think, oh, she's not really blind, because it's just that it can't be corrected, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's the interesting thing also about blindness, is there's a certain quotient of 660, 360, no, not, not the band. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, because that's visual acuity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So bizarre, because actually, actually, you know, one of my eyes is 660, and one of my eyes mine is, is 360, how bizarre, I'd never realised that before. Um, but... Uh, I love how you sensed immediately that you were triggering me when you said 666. <laughs> we talked about that with New Telepathics. And actually, everyone's really happy. I tell you what, as someone who really believes in songs and songwriting as an art form and poetry as an art form, I only write and sing songs that are going to profoundly change the world that I wouldn't cage fight to the death for. So you make of that what you will, but certainly I'm just going to say I only will sing songs that mean something so profound that they are going to change people's lives. Mm. And if we then think about how a lot of people use music functionally as background noise, mm -mm. as something to root to, as something to create some kind of, or evoke, evoke some kind of mood or atmosphere, you know, my my music may not appeal to you because it's it's going to slap you around. Uh, songs where subject material is incest or suicide may not appeal mm -mm. Um, to all. Yes, it's uneasy people. listening sometimes. Yeah, nice. Sometimes, nice. anyway. But isn't that great? Thank and isn't you. Uh, uh, you know? I mean, <laughs> those early, particularly those early Leonard Cohen records, they're uneasy listening. 
yeah. aren't they? I yeah. mean, I think the first two, yeah, yeah. or the first three, mm. they, you know, I mean, obviously, I only heard them many years later. So maybe when they arrived in the world, there was there was more of that kind of bedsit folkish stuff. But when I heard them, I loved them because I was just, you know, how could you not love Suzanne the moment you hear it? It's so different. But yeah. the thing is, the instrumentation. And you are hearing a poem is out there. It's actually a tone poem. It's yeah. actually sound art, right? Mm. So the instrumentation that's used, and it's interesting because, um, you know, Mark Austin, I think his name was, he ran Studio 9 or Level 9 or um, basically very much involved with kind of the 6 Volts crew and mm. the, that side of things. They make sound art, right? It's a very, very amazing three-dimensional space. That was what was going on if you've, obviously read any of mm. the biographies about Cohen, mm. um, he ha- had, or dad, as I would call him, um, because my <laughs> spiritual parents are Joni Mitchell and Lynn Cohen because they were together in Greece. Anyway, and I was born in 71, so that dates me, but it mm. also says, right, well, obviously that was the gestation period. Like, maybe if they were together in 1970, here I am. <laughs> Anywho, but, you know, it was... it was it's got It's got the sound of the most interesting chains and and a lonely bassoon, and just the most interesting instrumentation. He himself, it seems, <clears throat> is just floating along, and the producers are the people who are really making those big decisions. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like almost speak singing his songs. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and this happened right through his career. There yeah. was always the musical director, and the musical director wasn't just the person who ran the band on the stage. The musical director co-created the music with him and produced it, you know, whether it was Sharon Robinson or someone else. Thank like, God for she her, was, right? She was really the late career, uh, the, the second half of his career, champion. Oh, all round, Yeah, all round. And, and what a... What a uh, I mean, fulfilling, obviously, but what a selfless thing to do to basically go, whatever career I could have had, I'm going to have it in service of someone. But what better person could you have to be in service of? But actually, he gave her a career as well. That's true. That's absolutely true. And I mean, Jennifer Warnes had her own career, but she was also working with that famous people. Oh, we've got to do a separate podcast on Lenny, because he's my man. And also the fact that Joni um, writes about him. And funnily enough, he writes about himself, so <laughs> there's a lot of writing about him. Mm-hmm. But um, but in Sylvie Simmons's book, she didn't properly research the phase that the, that those songs were actually about. And and Joni only gets such a scant reference. There's two and a half pages of that phase in a 553 page book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever it is. But you know, they 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 I say wonder that if that's the, I wonder if that's because Joni wouldn't sit for an interview, probably. Oh, she definitely wouldn't. No, I know, but I wonder if that's why she was produced. No, but you've got to do your research. Yeah. That's due diligence. I mean, like, there's even just finding out what the song was about. I hear that you're living, you're building a little house deep in the desert. I hope that you're um, happy now. I hope you're he- keeping some kind of record. Mm. So in Famous Blue Rain- Raincoat, he's talking about himself from the third person other, you know, you. Or, so... Yeah. I, I, I love Sylvie Simmons. I love her book. I, I, there's problems with it. Yes. She's stayed in this house. Yes. And what happened, and I've been to her house and I've interviewed her. Yes. Uh, and, and we communicate and, you know, keep in, keep in touch. But one thing that was um, enough times past I can say this, um, uh, when, when she stayed here the night, uh, something came up about Suzanne Vega and I watched... 
Sylvie's nose go out of joint. And the reason I believe it went out of joint and there was enough context around it was she was jealous of her, her relationship with Leonard Cohen. Suzanne Vega. Yeah. I believe I be- I totally believe that. So mm. I'm I'm throwing that out there to anyone listening because it's a, a, a maybe it's a mild scandal, but I'm throwing I'm giving it to you because it that will help. Sense. It help it might help explain for both of us um, her decision to reduce the role of Joni Mitchell in the life now, of Lena Khan. That there, there could be a jealousy around I, that I too. I think sure there probably is. There always is. Yeah. You know, never underestimate other people's insecurities. But the thing. And, ag- and again, how could you not be jealous of Joni Mitchell on some well, level, no, right? Well, no, no. Like, I mean, it's not about jealousy. I yeah. mean, if you're a writer, what you're doing is you're studying and you are in service and you're basic. Well, mm. at least for myself, mm, mm, mm. I find it easier to write about something. Um, you know, obviously as a historian it's a biography you've got to be a historian and the thing that I did have problems with was kind of that she was sort of superimposing upon him uh, ukuleles which yes. he has no interest in whatsoever yeah, and I'd I agree with that totally. personally have yeah. any interest in in fact I toured with them with the Alpaca Social Club and the only person who can properly play ukulele I believe are people who are Hawaiian of, of Hawaiian descent mm. and possibly some really amazing rad Cook Island ukulele players mm-hmm. um, but also John Sanders who I went on tour with who's from the Alpaca Social Club but yeah, it's she She was actually putting words in his mouth, which I didn't appreciate, because the thing about um, Leonard Cohen is he's pure spirit. He is, he is a holy man, and that's how Johnny Mitchell refers to him. Mm. And they treat each other with great delicacy and care and, and, and reverence, you know, and it's that whole, if you are a songwriter, that is a, that is a, um, a spiritual calling. Mm. You, you are... You are Tapping into the mains, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, you were going to soul John Batiste, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that whole movie. I have some problems with it because it actually um, seems to indicate that artists are just after that one big gig and, and anything else is soul-destroying. I don't believe that. I actually think they had a fundamental flaw with the sort of... Um, psychology of it. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, of course, we're in the zone and we can live there permanently. I mean, I, I actually. But think there was some interesting stuff in that oh, film too, gosh, wasn't yes. there? Yeah, yeah, and 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 it. quite um, maybe quite envelope pushing for the fact that it's a family movie. You know, sure. it isn't. It isn't a, I don't think it's a kids movie at all. Sure. But it is. It is being pitched as a family movie, oh. and it's at the upper end of a family movie. Yeah. And, you know, we watched it as a family, and my son, who's nine, yes, he was. He liked it because he loves music and, and he loves animated films and movies in general, but he was less interested in that than many of the other Pixar films huh. because... But I think he'll come back to it. You know, right. I, th- I think it'll be a second viewing one. But he was definitely... You know, it was me and Katie that were more interested in the film yeah. than him that time around, which was a cool thing to have happen. Wasn't Rachel House amazing? Yeah, amazing. Don't you love yes. that New Zealand collection? Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's, she's spectacular amazing. Yeah. in that one. What was she? She's Terry, yeah, as opposed to Jerry. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. she's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely adore. Actually, speaking of John Batiste, you know, mm. he's a, a deep cat, you know, yeah, and it's spiritual for so. him as well. And I think we're all speaking the same language, and that's the reason why, you know, I look at the people who, and I was talking about this the other day for a student of mine, um, Cat Stevens. Um, and I mean, okay, I'm not going to, you know, Prince to a certain extent, but that was v- latterly Prince. Mm. But, you know, everybody's looking for the latter as well. Mm-mm. You know, there's, you, 
I personally think that people who have some kind of spiritual understandings, if you don't want to call it faith, fine. But, you know, I love Billy Collins' poetry as well. Mm-hmm. I love Over the Rhine. You've got people who are willing to actually go there and not be frightened of it. I listened you know to Over the Rhine for the first time in ages the other day, and I, went, and I was a massive fan, and I was just like, this is beautiful. Like, yeah, I'm I don't so want to waste your time I, with music you I, don't need. I'm so glad I reconnected with it. And yeah. It just sort of came to me. I was, I was, I was standing in town thinking what would I like to listen to and it just came into my head and I was just like it's been years so beautiful tell you what they did a fan- they did a series of fantastic mm. ba- barn concerts mm, mm. you know um, well, in so they played here um, in Wellington at the arts festival years ago and that was beautiful I mean amazing and yeah. at that stage I didn't know of them and I was mm. so gutted and you know same thing goes with Lake Street Dive I didn't oh, yeah, know of yeah, them at yeah. the time and you know I just feel like um, and she's Baha'i so oh, Rachel right. yeah, from, yeah, okay. from, you know, and that, that kind of thing. I think God's a dirty word. And for me, I make God love. And I actually do mm. reference God in the album. So nice segue. <laughs> yeah. And because if it's good enough for Nick Cave, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, God yeah. is in the house. It's good enough for me, you know. And I just feel like actually of all the things we're talking do you about. Think, do you think Nick Cave's a bit of a God tourist? <laughs> I think he's a tourist, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think he's a bit of a tourist in general, actually. Exactly. Yes, yeah, and I mean, yeah. I think he's a tourist of his own life, and that's the mm. reason he did that documentary of 20,000 yes. um, Days of Night or Days yeah, on yeah. Earth or something, yeah. Nights on Earth or something. But, um, you know, I mean, I think he he does play fast and loose with... His idea of, of songwriting is just slightly different to mine because it's a business for him. So he will sit... He will do the 9 to 5. So did Leonard. Yeah. But at the same time, Leonard was also doing it as a... As a, as a, a spiritual discipline because he also had all of his you know practices of meditation yeah, and being say, on Mount Baldy. I was going to say history. being up on the mountain was also a nine to five for Leonard. You know. Oh, definitely and, not and, nine. No, no, no. But I mean, it beca- <laughs> I mean, I mean, it became five the job. To nine, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, it yeah. became the job. It, yeah. He he treated it that seriously. Exactly. And it, it occupied that time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we were talking about Jason Isbell before, mm. and 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 actually that's the reason why I really want to interview songwriters about songwriting. Mm. Um, um, there's a, I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but there's actually a professional development fund um, from APRA that I've applied for repeatedly before and have been rejected. But I'm actually kind of hoping just quietly that they'll give me some money to write a book about songwriting because I really do want to write about this thing. This mm. whole reason why it got Creative New Zealand funding, this CD that mm. I've just put out, is because I wanted it to actually show you the inner workings of songwriting we record and this may come out in a digital form because mm. it's like, hey, I can't even give my CD away, even mm. though it's got Braille and all these other features, um, just because people haven't got CD players anymore. But we had recorded just my voice and piano with the with the um, uh, demos mm. because I wanted to, to show people how it changes when you get this huge sonic um, realisation because there's... Bode Vibes by John Bell. There's Oliver Emmett, who now teaches in a music conservatory in, in Amsterdam. There's Finn Scholes on trumpet, who's touring um, with mm. uh, a plant society around New Zealand with Arts on Tour. And I'm doing my Arts on Tour thing in May. Um, and Michael Bach is on drums with them, who's from Swamp Thing. I mean, mm. it's just, we all know each other. Actually, there's no competition, to be honest with you. There's actually no competition because we all inhabit our own artistic space and love each other. Because mm. I'm actually touring with, um, you know, um, Steve Cornane, who's CL Bob, Mm-mm. and Mark Laurent, who's who's a, just the most sensitive, amazing, and also legally blind um, musician, who's just a folky, 
died in the wool folky mm. uh, just such a sensitive guitarist and and just wow but you know with that songwriting side of things um i just feel as if people really think you shit them out like like um like <laughs> you know unicorns do glitter you yeah, know? It's, yeah it's actually not um well they'd be farting glitter wouldn't they mm. yeah i mean you're not a prolific songwriter no but you're a prolific poet yes and you're a, and you're a prolific and you are a prolific singer in that you know and i wondered if um the love that you have and the care that you take with cover versions as important as that is and as great as that is has that slowed you down as a writer, do you think? Oh, no. The, like, does it compete? It definitely doesn't compete. Okay. Um, it's, it's cooperative. Yeah. I mean, you know, Joni Mitchell talks about crop rotation with her art, with her painting, and then her music. Mm. And um, I think what it does is it really inspires me. Like, for example, I didn't realise in one of my songs, Gunslingers and Skeleton Keys, which was about being stalked, which took me four years to write because I have been stalked since 1994 and um, by four different individuals. And I felt like it was drawing it to me. I've since found out from my therapist that it doesn't and I should stop feeling responsible for everything that happens in the world. Thank you. But, um, but the song has a bridge in it that actually, in the same key... And the same sequence of chords is actually Bowie's Ashes to Ashes. Whoopsie! <laughs> so, in other words, no, it actually helps me because it yeah. gives me really nice fuel. Mm. Um, and in fact, you know, it definitely gets my musical chops up because I wanted to learn Suzanne for the lockdown because my dear um, friend Jeremy's partner is in, in who, who I also did the lockdown for my brothers and sisters mm. in, in the States because they really needed some help. Um, probably still do. And so I did a series of, um, lockdown live streams, four yeah. of them and yeah. went actually through my entire, at that stage, um, original repertoire that I could play on piano. Mm. So that was a, that was a feat because what I do when I perform is go original cover, original cover, original mm. cover, mm. so that people don't become judgy. But what I found when I was learning, um, Suzanne. Well, you're also lining your songs up with. Yeah, I'm rubbing shoulders. That, aren't that, I? That's what I'm saying. Like you're basically creating a um, there's a not an arrogance, but there's a confidence of these things belong together, and you're basically challenging people to go. Here's a song you probably don't know, and here's a song you do know, and I think they're as good as each other. I think, or I think they deserve to go together. I think they deserve to go to yeah. each other. I mean, yeah. I mean, so ooh, well, the, the arrogance sleep together. The arrogance would oh. be, I think they're as good as each other. The confidence would be, I think they deserve to. Ghost, well, you, know, you see, it's interesting you should say up. that because one of my columns was actually um, uh, called The Myth of Self-Confidence and Other Mindfucks because I personally, when I teach, it's not about confidence. I am severely pathologically shy mm. and self-loathing and self-hating. It's a generational thing. And that's the reason why I think people of my age, I'm going to be 50 this year, don't necessarily put themselves forward. We've got this existential cringe. And we're always going, oh, maybe not. Oh, should mm. I not say that? Oh, not me. You know, oh, mm. someone's better than me. Someone else can do it, right? And then I realized I was someone. Um, but basically, you can't uh, defer to anyone else your artistic expression. Mm. Mm. And I, I'm not confident at all. That is a hugely um, disabling part of me. Right, and it could be aligned with blindness. I don't know. I I think so actually, because there's a lot of people who will sort of look around to assess the situation and think, is it safe for me to stand up and sit in with this jazz group? And I'll just not do it. 
because I'm too shy. Maybe if I could see them and look at them and make eye contact, they'd actually usher me up. None of that happens, right? Mm. And so, yeah, I really, really do feel uh, like missing out, the FOMO thing. But that's why I loved Level 4 Lockdown, because I wasn't missing out. It was just my happiest time <laughs> oh, I think most, I think a lot of artists yeah. and, 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 and certainly creatives that are introverted on any capacity absolutely love Lockdown. I've certainly talked to loads since, and that's the overall vibe. It was great for me, is what people say. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting as well? Well, really we live in a state of kind of Lockdown as a happy place, creating... Yes. On some level. We, we, manu- having, we manufacture that. Yeah, a lot of with us our do. solitude. That's right. And to yeah, create yeah. art, you have to have solitude That's as right. well. Yeah, yeah. And for a lot of people who are not used to that, they really can't get their heads around it. And they're and thinking so they you're some kind of... bread. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, I mean, just <laughs> even in relationship, yeah. you know, a lot oh, of no, people, totally. you know, misunderstand that you actually need this time. That's yes. actually an, a necessity. Um, but, you know, you just, oh my gosh, I'm so flinging myself all over the the place in terms of, of what ground I'm covering. But, you know, you really um, gone into something just before about the confidence because with, you know, with um, songwriting, I really feel like um, that's part of that myth. The reason why I want to cohese us all as a group mm. is because... We're actually not confident. A lot of people are not the front people. If you can get someone who's confident and an amazing songwriter, you've hit the jackpot. Mm. But I'm going to just tell you right now that a lot of front people are really uncomfortable with being in front of a band if they're the songwriter. Because there's a big difference between singing other people's songs and singing your own, Mm. especially when I'm teaching people as a vocal coach. Right? Mm. They'll have amazing vocal production. You can hear every single word. They start singing their own songs and they're not even opening their mouths. Mm. You can't hear a thing because it's that cringe. Mm. And that cringe it really disables people. So I actually think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what confidence is because even confidence in the process, hell no. Like, I haven't got a clean, what would be called in acting parlance, the process hygiene. Mm. I haven't got that. You know, I haven't got a creative process like Lenny. I'm, I'm seriously self-sabotaging mm. <laughs> in so many different ways. And I, I don't practice what I preach, right? But the whole thing about, um, you know, if you can um, realize and accept and allow that self-doubt is part of artistic expression... You know, you're less likely to beat yourself up about it. But I think that's the problem is actually, thanks Brene Brown, is having the courage Mm. to get into the arena. Not the confidence, Mm -mm. the courage. You just have to be able to just get in there and then suffer the blows of so much judgment. Because, oh my God, people are judging. And that's another thing about blindness is we don't judge nearly as much because we can't make that first assessment yeah, on looking yeah, at something. Yeah. And that's huge. That is actually eclipsing everything else, I believe. And I also believe, like, a lot of artists that didn't have... Um, if they didn't have the videos and they didn't have the... the However they're presenting live or, or, or visually, if you actually listen to the music, it's like, nah, mm. it's not necessarily that good. But you know what? I think also what's really important for us is to understand how this machinery that works within the industry side of things can actually probably help us because I also want to provide a bridge, a rainbow bridge if you will, as all great Mm -hmm. Hindi storytellers talk about, um, between the community and the industry in terms of the songwriting thing. Mm -hmm. Because 
songwriting, industry songwriting, toplining, Frankensongs, forcing people into co-writes like Amy Winehouse, who, mm-hmm. who if she didn't have an alcoholic to co-write with, probably would have gone to rehab with more pride and more and more realization that this is yeah. going to keep you alive. But Mark Ronson's a screaming alcoholic and, and does not own his addictions. Mm. You know, and I get And really, continues to profit off her death. That's right. That's yeah. right. And a lot of people who are, you know, sort of industry hack songwriters are profiting off artists because they're yeah. forcing them into co-writes, like Adele. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But basically what I believe from Thank You actually I, I hate to say it, but you know, the the, the Paul McKesses and the and the Scott McLaughlins actually um have that knowledge. And I personally want to offer them an opportunity to, you know, to sit down and talk about some of these really important um, skills that we could acquire for ourselves as independent artists as part of the machinery that helps us realise our dreams. Mm. Because it, it, it's shut out. We haven't got the means of production because it's, it's thought that the only way you can actually get outreach and realise your dreams and promote and publicise yourself is with the help of a record company rather than actually being fully um, and truly independent. But, you know, the community side of things really doesn't seem to have access to that, means of access to those um, communities. And, look, the reason I I brought this up, actually, was because I heard a woman uh, outside a mall in Auckland uh, doing a cover of of Benny's Soaked. Oh, yeah. And I love that song. Yeah. I actually think it's a really amazing song. And, you know, the thing is about Benny um, or or Stella Mm. is... You know, she's just really, just really awesomely grounded. I know her mum, Tanya. She's just an incredibly grounded individual. And she just does her mahi. And she's got a beautiful young band of other yeah, yeah. local young I have musicians. a very limited experience but I with the music, but I did see Benny at um, Laneway a couple of years ago and that felt like a really good time to see because it was just before the massive blowing up. But obviously there was chat chat around this person and this band yes and so i went along thinking well you know obviously a bit of ingrained cynicism but, yes. but also actually an open mind and an open heart towards it yes and i thought it was fucking great yes. i just i got it instantly i was like yes i can see why people are saying this is going to be big yes this is totally enjoyable in this moment i'm mm. i'm really pleased for them and i mean mm. that you know without sounding patronizing i was That's just like right. they're really fucking good they've That's got right. something now i've not really engaged with it since and whatever will happen to it, I feel like the message, if you could call it that, or the flavour of the music w- will be dialed down um, with time because of the success, you know, like, she's she will get reduced to, and already arguably has been with sort of TikTok success, will get reduced to that, to being background stuff in people's lives. Ah, uh, I don't, I don't actually think so, because, you know, the people who use music, mm. like drugs, mm. as I do, use music... Um, you know, for a certain purpose, and we're going to yeah. get whatever nutritional value out of whatever yeah, we yeah. get. No one tells us what to listen to. Yeah. We can choose what we want to listen True. to or not, and no one's even asking our opinion. Apart I just, from you, of course. I just, but, th- I but, just thought it was nice to go for me. For me, it's it's arguably not really supposed to be my thing. Sure. And I got it, and that's See, a nice yeah. thing to have happen. So I have listened to a little bit of Billie Eilish, and I watched the documentary, and I 
I don't really get why that's... No. I don't see the... And, no, you know, no. I had, I've got a young niece who was playing it to me a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'm not going to rain on your parade. You're 10. Sure. You like what you like. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I, I might be a cunt, but I'm not a fucking cunt. You know, so, you know, that's fine. Oh, my God. But I listened to it again sort of privately. And then, as I say, I watched that doco and I'm just like, I personally don't get that. I don't yeah, get why that's... But there are a lot of things I don't yeah, get. Yeah, that's same. Yeah, so I don't course. get Wilco. And yeah. But but because I didn't get Wilco, and, and that's a that's a hangable offence to so many of my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But basically, especially I, because you like Jason Isbell. Well, <laughs> well, I do, and yeah. because he's so he's such an amazing songwriter. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about that opportunity was because I it was at uh, the Civic. I went down to the bar and ended up spending the night talking to um, Justin Towns Earl because he was the wow, sport, yeah. and so. Sometimes it actually, it helps if you can make a decision yes. and decide that's not for me. But, you know, the reason I, I brought up, um, you know, how people use music yeah. is because it's individual. Mm. Like if I choose to use music like a drug, as mm. I do, mm. um, it's no one else's business. And it's also that that holy relationship as well, because I use music the same way I read what I read. Mm. And I think the trends of saying we've all got to agree and we've all got to listen to the same mm. music because it's a fashion and because it's a trend and because we've got to be current and we've got to be part of our peer group. That's changed now. This is a real surface question after plunging in so deep, um, but maybe it'll get us back into the deep. Sorry. Um, no, 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 this is me. I, I'm, I'm apologising as I'm asking this, but where... Where and when were you when you found music, or how did music find you? You know, like how long have you lived with it? Oh, my entire life. Very, very musical family. Yeah, right. Um, so my, oh, and my uncle, who's a violin maker, just passed away a couple of months mm. ago. And um, you know, my cousin actually was. I had a poster of my cousin on my wall, Nick Smith. He wrote two EPs, one called Flanker and one called Skin. And he had a song called Requiem, the death of the New Zealand male. Um, uh, uh, can I take his hand in mine and tell him I love him, I love him. Does that make me girl, me girl? It's actually a really amazing song. He has, <laughs> also has a song called Fuck Off Fascist. So, you know, there's songwriting in the family for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but also a history of, of, of teachers and ministers and alcoholics in the family, both sides. You know, going back way, way, possibly more my father's side with the alcoholics. But um, the thing is, yeah, music is just my breath. Mm. It's what I breathe. Because in my world, it's accessible. Yeah. And yeah. in the world that I live in, mm. to answer your question before about when did I realize, mm. you know, you know, it's not accessible. Mm. And that's also part of the campaign that we have um, went on a hikoi um, and presented to Parliament, I think it was last Thursday, um, Dr. Huhana Hickey is hoping to establish uh, a ministry of disability or a minister of disability mm -mm. because we need to deal with this issue. One in five New Zealanders mm. have an access need. And I can tell you right now, I'm trying to find your house from Sugarloaf Road. <laughs> There's an access <laughs> issue right there, darling. Oh yeah. my God, you know. And it's like, wow, we really need to deal with this because it's actually serious. And when I was talking about my Blind Pride campaign and, and, and the access issue that it is, so we can access art by actually mm. having souffleur d'image, which is um, image whisperers at the Pompidou Centre. So mm -hmm. they actually have people touring around with blind um, uh, patrons to actually explain to them what's going on mm. in the work of art. How genius is that? Well, why don't we have that here? Why don't we have audio descriptions here? Um, 
And so basically we've got so much, I mean, I'm just talking about blind because obviously um, people think about braille on lifts or something like that, but then what does COVID do? We've got to think these things through to how yes. touchy-feely you have yeah. to be when you're blind. Um, but also that blindness is very ignored as a disability, you know, um, because deaf don't even call themselves disabled. They are rogue. They are totally happy, and that's the reason why... Um, sign language is actually an official language of New Zealand because they're so incredibly bossed up mm. and confident. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think that accessibility... Well, that comes down to, the, to them being able to make those judgments because of having vision, right? Well... In a way. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting thing, that one, because, yeah, I there was a song I wrote called In Between. It was on um, the Thorndon Project, which oh, yeah, is... Yeah. yeah, for Appearance of Vision Impaired New Zealand yeah. with Mark Lockett and... Um, Alan Brown. Who lives just around the corner. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, moved into town. Stop it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. so funny, because yeah. he's also legally blind. Yes. It's really yeah. interesting that, you know, a lot of us... His parents used to be my um, neighbour, and I didn't, oh. I didn't know that until I met them at a, a thing, and they were like, something came up about music, and, and someone introduced me and said, oh, you, know, you might have read Simon's reviews in the paper, and they're like, oh, you might know our son. No. Oh, who is he? And normally when people say that, you know what it's like, you just, you, you either think, well, I don't know them or I fucking hate them. You know, you're just bracing yourself. <laughs> and then, and then they, they said, oh, our son um, plays drums and percussion. He's actually legally blind. His name's Mark Lowe. And I was like, oh, I, I, we had not met, but I know his work. He's fucking sure. great. You know, like, I know him. I've seen him play. Yeah. He's fantastic. So it was a nice conversation. I was able to say that. And now he's almost my neighbour it's quite funny That's and we still so haven't I don't cool. think we've actually met we've talked oh, I'm going to introduce you then yeah we've talked definitely we've, we've chatted and I must he's... actually get him around to do a podcast with him because he's oh that'd be great, great. yeah oh, I kind of think that's how I'd like to meet him. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be that'd cool. be fantastic. Well, like how we're meeting right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, and we're going to keep talking for another seventeen hours by yeah. the, by the sounds. But yeah, the accessibility thing is how I wish people to access the means of production for mm -hmm. their voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know how voice is created mm. right the same way a lot of people don't know what it is to access stuff right yeah so things like mobility is 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 really difficult if you can't see the difference between a bus and a truck and you certainly can't read um the numbers on buses uh <laughs> and then if you are traveling around the only thing i can do is like plonk my cane down mm. presuming i can make it to where i'm making it to by trying to navigate through god knows you know following a gps um but you know no it's not accessible and so during lockdown we actually had free cabs yeah yeah um because those people who had access needs have a total mobility card well a friend of mine ari has got a campaign fears for freedom to try and reinstate free cabs because mm. they are our public transport because we yes. can't access yeah, public yeah. transport yeah. and we're not overusing these things mm. i mean when i i nearly cried i haven't been able to cry in four years ptsd but i i wanted to cry when i had this newfound freedom because i could actually go visit friends who were like 20 minutes drive away and there's no way i could afford that taxi usually mm. so i was going off and having this freedom and i just wait for the world to come to me and it's not it shouldn't be like that we should have mobility and so music for me is accessible yeah and yeah. that's the reason why and, and I, I it I, probably gives me superpowers because i have to memorize shit as well sorry well, i could i just i could imagine i mean this is true for many people that get obsessed with something like music or any cultural artistic pursuit but i imagine just hearing everything that you've been saying and thinking about it beforehand you 
this is a world that you can shrink yourself down into. You can live in this world because you get to define it. This other world that you you happily enough live in and move around and and you know has been defined for you and that's a little bit trickier. Like you have to bring what you can to that, but with music you get to decide how it's going to be for you. I find the opposite of what you said, like shrinking down. That's what I have to do in the uh, in the. Oh, I mean world. shrinking down. Yeah. I mean like disappearing yeah. into it. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean like. So exactly, exactly, but in a good way. Yeah. So rather than expanding into it, mm, rather than mm. contracting into it, I remember now. <laughs> so off piste. Um, well, I was telling you about Suzanne, right? Yeah. The song. Yeah. So I learned that one. I arranged that one specially for, and I had to play it to you on the piano because. Um, I couldn't decide what key I was going to put in. I knew I wanted to learn it for this woman. Mm. And um, so I ovulated three times. So it's actually got three key changes in it. And I say ovulated because a friend of mine misheard me when I'd say, <laughs> I, was, I was working with the band and I said, I'm modulating now. And they went, why are you telling me that? Because they thought I said ovulating. And so I go, okay, knock yourselves out. And also, you know how Bill Willis passed at the beginning mm. of lockdown. Mm. So I changed key in... Um, Grandma's Hands, because mm. I learned that, because it's his, his favourite song. Yeah. I mean, he loves talking about songwriting as well. Yeah. And so that songwriting thing, I think when I teach songwriting, a lot well, of people... He's a great example because he um, he basically stopped performing and singing because he ran out of things that he wanted to say, yeah. you know, which is which is amazing. You know, that, that shows how deeply he cared about songwriting. It wasn't sure. it wasn't fame, it wasn't adulation, Absolutely. it wasn't it wasn't money, it was these are the things I want to say. And he also came to it quite late. You know, I think he was thirty odd when yes. he you know, right? So he came to it quite late because he he didn't want to be a guy that had nothing to say. And he basically had this perfect decade of amazing music and then a couple of albums at the end that are a little bit patchy but I kind of like them they are a tiny bit no. you know if you're being if you're being super critical which I'm I'm certainly allowed to be and should be I'm too soft if I'm not but he he pretty much had the sublime run did Simon I know I know and I was very sad to hear that because I was such a huge fan and I remember the day that he the news came that he died I I went and got on my drum kit and played an appalling version of Lovely Day with my headphones on, oh, playing along to it, and and, I, and, and and the street would have fucking hated it, but I was happy. No, I'm happy. <laughs> You're happy. I mean, I actually think everyone should play drums. I actually percuss when I sing, um, and, you know, New Telepathics, you know, over the weekend at Cuba mm. Duper, I think um, me and um, and Joe have given ourselves all sorts of bruising from, <laughs> from the kibasa and the tambourine, which we're not actually legally, um, or I haven't got a license to play that thing, and I've done myself a bad, bad, bad bruising injuries. But, oh gosh, why am I telling this? Um, because I can't play drums. Because I sit behind a drum kit and I just, I actually freeze. Mm. And that, it's, that gives me empathy for singers who just freeze. Right, so it's it's there to teach me. Maybe one day some very brave person will be able to teach me drums. But you know, with and singers that drum, like singers that learnt to drum, not just I don't just mean your cliche oh. Phil Collins, who, who who's great at both. But I don't just mean you, you Phil Collins, Levon Helm. But singers who have drumming in their past are very interesting. Like someone like Marvin Gaye. You know, Marvin Gaye was a very good drummer. Best singers. And he became a very good singer. No, well, honestly, if you And he kept know... them separate. You know, there, there was no trick shot of Marvin Gaye sitting down and singing one of his songs behind the kit. He he graduated into being a singer, but that drumming never left his style, his phrasing, his tone, his rhythm. 
I'm going to be really honest with you here, and this is not blowing smoke up your ass, but I find the most important instrument to me is, is the drums. Because um, this new residency I've That's got, not blowing smoke up my ass. I'm pretty useless at playing oh, the drums. Okay, well, I just <laughs> I agree. You. I agree with you, but I'm not, I can't put that into practice. I value drums. I really, really value rhythm because I'm a really rhythmic mm. singer, particularly within mm. the jazz context. And so... The, the, the Caitlin Smith trio is a trio that's been going for many decades. Mm. And then before that, the fondue set, which was my trio with two guitars. But neither had drums. And we often couldn't afford to, you know, because jazz yeah. pays very badly. And also um, you can squeeze into the corner exactly, of the space. Exactly, and be wallpaper. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So drums kind of is, is a little bit more dominating. But we've got this residency at Sky City Casino, mm, which mm. is awesome because they've got the money to pay us, which mm. is beautiful. So every Sunday between 4 and 7, we've got this dream residency with drums. Yeah, and, and I've seen some clips of amazing. it that you put up and they're great. Super cool because we've got, I mean, I'm so spoilt for choice. In New Zealand, we are so lucky because like they said on the weekend, this is the world's largest festival right now. Yeah. Because no one else is able to do yeah. festivals. Yeah. And we're so lucky to be able to have live music, which is, mm. which is super cool. But yeah, definitely that side of things with the rhythmic um, is super, super important to me. Well, I love as a, as a person who has tried to play the drums for a long time and and made a living from doing it or a component of a living for a little while and uh, and obviously thinks about the drums a lot and listens out for them I got really into listening to things like drummerless trios you know that's it, that's really important like it's great to listen to great drummers it's great to listen to drum heavy music it's really important when you're learning but it's super important to listen to the the a, the space that's left when that instrument that you dig in and trying to play is not there. And also, you know... What are you hearing? That's how I know that yeah. you're a very rhythmic singer because the first things I heard were those fondue set records. Right. And so I've heard you in that context right. and gone, you know, everyone in that band is taking their turn at filling the space of the that's drummer. Right. Yeah. And and also the spaciousness is, yes. is beautiful because mm. it allows us to sonically do our own imagining. Um <laughs> which is the quote that's being used. You know, this is known as the CD that's just come out is mm. Brave Caitlin Smith's Imaginary Band. And it's because Mike Alexander did a review of me once um, saying, um, Caitlin Smith has a, has a voice that imagination created. Mm. And I thought, that's that's a freaking good quote. Mm. I'm still using it, you know. And I'm um, looking forward to Caitlin Smith and the ovulations. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, thanks. <laughs> You can have that one. <laughs> I don't think I'll be using it, but that's all good. Um, just write the most amazing review of the CD, yeah. and then I'll use bits from that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I intend to. Okay. I actually intended to have that done before we met, but um, it, I, 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 it is an amazing album. It really is, and and you, you've, I mean, you've told this story elsewhere, but you've you've hinted at it. But let's unpack a little bit about how long this record took and why it sat on the shelf. So. This is a brand new album in terms of people hearing it, but these are not. This is not a brand new album in terms of this could have existed, did exist in some shape a decade ago. Yep. Um, so I was given uh, Crave New Zealand funding a little bit in um, in two thousand seven, and um, yeah, I released Odere in two thousand and four. Mm. Around about five, it came out, <clears throat> and. Um, yeah, so what, everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong. Mm. Everything. And I'm not going to go into it because there was a piece in New Zealand Musician magazine about mm -hmm. that, and they recycled it, and they didn't write another piece on it coming out. They just used the one from uh, back in the day, which is sweet because it's Mark Bell interviewing me, and he's mm. an absolute sweetheart. But 
it's probably not going to be good listening for anyone else because it kind of is a lot of dirty, dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. I was really maligned by a lot of individuals um, who just weren't doing their job. In mm -hmm. fact, I was fired from the studio I was re recording at and had to then seek out other people to mix and master. Um, and, yeah, that meant that the same way that people who, who who get very tangential when they speak cover more ground, it also meant that I was working with a whole heap of other people, mm -hmm. which is which is interesting. So, I mean, it is a very magnum opus kind of thing. It's epoch. Yeah, it it is. really is. And it's got the sound of my footsteps in between each song. So I also had to wait to realise that component part of it because when I put the proposal forward to Creative New Zealand, it did have these different elements to it which wasn't strictly just here's some songs. Mm. You know, it's mm. it's got to have that experimental music sound outside of things. I wanted to have the steps joining each song to indicate and to help people listen because my idea is I want to encourage sighted people to listen as blind people do, which means actually growing and 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 enabling that sense. I thought about that listening to this record. I thought I thought in as much as you can, how could you not? Because of the packaging, because of the fact that it has the braille cover, it has this labyrinth inside that you talked mm -hmm. about, and so I'm going. I need to sit down, and, and and just frankly, the fact that it's a CD. I know. In this in this age, which I which I still get and like getting every now and then, makes you go, well, I need to sit down and listen to this. Now, what's what's been funny for me is, I have a CD player that doesn't have any clock or counter, huh. so I think that's actually quite cool. But what that means is, and I quite like that, is I don't know the names of any of the songs huh. because I have the cover, but I can't. And so I just listen to the whole thing. So I just hear, and this is true of anything I listen to on CD, and it becomes a different experience. Wow. So when I listen to things on Spotify or YouTube or however else and records, I'm brutally aware of the track changing and I'm looking, sure. at, looking at the track and I'm starting to know. Yes. Now your songs don't necessarily announce themselves through the lyrics as being the title. You know, the, the, there's not some, a, some do. do, some do, but not always. No. Whereas with some artists, it's very easy. Yeah. Basically, the title is the chorus. Or exactly. The, or whatever. So there's some that are like Prefer, yeah, there Prefer are. Miracle is that's right. Safe yeah. and sound most definitely mm, is mm. Um, held like a baby for sure. Yeah. Um, but then No Man's Land is kind of. Um, but I'm I'm loving listening to it as a so. Y between your intention for the album and what I have to deliver the album on, I'm having to listen to it as a giant whole. Because if I walk out of the room, I don't know where I'm up to. That's and it's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that's so cool, Simon? Because you're possibly one of the only people who's actually going to be listening to it and and how I wished it to be intended. Mm, mm. Which is like you can't have a weak bladder, but it's 75 minutes mm. or 74 minutes of continuous sound, right? Mm. So like. Um, Camille, the beautiful Parisian mm. songwriter, who has a, a, a Le Fil, which is um, the thread, I think. And it's basically an album that has one note that goes throughout the whole thing mm. and it segues between songs. So the footsteps that I recorded in the places where I wrote the songs, because I write on the hoof, yeah. because I don't drive. And so that's another of the bonuses of, mm. of, of partial, I mean, blindness. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say partial. Stop it. Uh, I have to slap myself. But it, it actually asks you to think of where you are, but to also um, picture where you are, perhaps if you've got vision, or at least hear mm. where you are. Mm. And so you can hear time of day, you can hear the sound ricocheting off buildings, you can hear so much. It places you, if you're sensitive to those other inner ear 
um, indicators, mm. which is also what a labyrinth is. So there's a labyrinth in, yes. the, in the ear, which is discussed in the um, liner notes. So the, it's really conceptual. The performances, not just your own, are amazing too. Like it's a great um, mar- it's a marriage of yeah, marriage of players and. Um, there's this really cool, like, the, just the way it's arranged, you know. There's space for everything, and everyone, it's one of those... I mean, th- this should be obvious about great music, I suppose, but it isn't always that people are making room for each, for everyone, and no one's no one's trying to be the star. Can I give you a Quincy Jones quote? You've got to have enough space for God to walk through the room in terms mm. of being in the studio. And, of course, what I was saying before about I'm going to bring God back, yeah. Um, that spaciousness mm. is something that um, is actually quite difficult to do but for the genius of gotta say it Angus McNaughton mm-hmm. who helped me mix and master this I was there every step of the way and he really is a genius because he's another musician so there's a quite an experimental track at the end it used to be a hidden track yeah. but it's called Another Goodbye and he he made sense of our chaos because, honey, that was chaos. I mean, yeah. it was just like everyone, because I do Vitamin S, which is like an experimental um, sound art collective that meets every Monday night and, and the computer just generates trios and you don't know who the hell you're going to get, right. you know, trioed with. Um, and you, you just make, make shit up, you know. It's mm. pure improvisation. And I, I had the framework of the song and it does cohese. It's not... Um, you know, as wild as the new telepathics kind of sunrise on Ornette Coleman stuff. But mm. um, that was really interesting because he really pulled it together. He made, he sculpted it. He was, it was a sonic sculpture. But, you know, I, I think the spaciousness that the album has is credit to him for the three-dimensional mm. placing of mm. it. Because I was there also every step of that thing going, put that there, put that there, put that there. Because I've got these satellite dishes for ears. <laughs> and finally they're actually coming in handy. <laughs> and to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the actual sort of human error of, of having uh, the difficulty with um, various individuals who exploited the situation, I... And, and, and unlimited funds, this would have come mm, out a, mm. lot, a lot sooner. Mm. Yeah, because actually the Braille was a, a difficult technological sure. sort of snuff. Yeah, and, and it could have been a thing that uh, anyone else might have had to compromise on, and, and I bet you're thrilled that you did not. Because, well, it's, yeah, it's totally. Because you know, a lot of people would be forced into, you know what, it's a nice idea, but fuck off, it's not happening. And Do you know what? It's so interesting because um, <laughs> the ex actually said, this CD's never coming out. Mm. Um, and he definitely was, was pushing forward to say, um, why don't you just release it without the Braille? Why yeah, do you need yeah. that? And why don't you, you don't need a Because then, the, then it's not the thing that it's I imagined. Not it's not it. It's no. something else. <laughs> and now I yeah. can't give it away, Simon. I mean, That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, when I, there was a very brief chat when I put the book out last year that that it would be pretty cool if the book cover looked like a seven-inch single and that actually the book had those dimensions and was more square-shaped. Yes. But then to do that was really cost-prohibitive. Right. And at the end of the day, that you know, I didn't need to sell the fact that it looked like a record. I did just want a book that had poems on the page. So that was a very easy thing to... you know. And I'm not, I don't sit here and go, oh, actually, I wish... Mm. You know, my friend Matt, who did the... Um, cover artwork sent me the actual original painting which does look like a record cover and that's in a frame on the wall and looks like a, so wow. I have so so, th- so I've got my version of that 
Beautiful. for me and then the book just exists like a book so that was an easy thing to yes. but you know but if I really felt like it had to be you hold out for those things do you know it's I didn't re- need to it's yeah. really interesting because that's also part of what's happened with music which is the whole everything's downloadable you don't get to read the liner notes you mm. don't get to know the personnel you don't get the song titles you don't get some well, maybe you get song titles but Pretty much most people are just listening, but they're not actively listening. They're very passively Mm, listening. mm, mm. As background noise, earbuds are in almost all the time, very low fidelity, on their computers, on their phones. That's not the best speaker system in the world. Yeah. Um, There's no warmth. There's no bass. Yeah. And so... And you've given the absolute opposite because you've basically got two booklets. Yeah. You've got your liner notes with your yeah, lyrics and then mm. you've got these poems that that aren't in the album mm. but you know there, there aren't recordings of you mm. reading these in the album but mm. these it's uh, um these are complimentary this is a uh, yeah yeah so they were poems around about the time yeah. of so writing those songs yeah and you know it's really interesting because Paul Simon could say in, I think it's seven words, pretty much what most people want to say in an entire album, which is mm. the arc of a love affair. Mm. And, you know, this this album, it's, uh, you know, because it's taken so long, but also over that period of writing songs, there are songs about people in there for sure, of, of different. And it's not that I'm like, William Dart was, was not likening me to Tay-Tay, but definitely saying, and I think <laughs> Nick Bollinger also said that, um, you know, it is about, you know, exes. You know, mm-hmm. but not, I mean, yeah, there are a few in there and I can actually point to them and say, that's that person, that person, that person for sure. And people who know me know exactly what well, I'm fuck, talking about. Fuck the Tay-Tay comparison, your spiritual mother's Joni Mitchell. That's right. and there and, and the record that everyone knows by Joni Mitchell is Blue. Yes. And that is a record, a document of exes. And it is fantastic. Mm. So wouldn't that be the better comparison if there needs to be one? you just made my day. I think I just crammed myself, Simon. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay, so not that I'm going to fuck Tay-Tay, but I could fuck Tay-Tay. I mean, like, I wouldn't say, well, no, she's a little bit skinny, I think. Anywho, I love her. I mean, yeah. I, mean I don't know yeah, her yeah. work yeah. Um, that well. But, yeah, it is. I mean, you can say that. I mean, that's where trauma actually really does get turned around. And, and I tell you what. On that songwriting level, and this is really interesting, because I have been undergoing therapy, and thank God it took me a while, (laughs) but the thing that's interesting is you don't write about the songs where things are too traumatic, right? Mm -hmm. That that actually is too traumatic. You're traumatized, therefore, and I didn't realize this until she explained it to me, like with that song about being stalked, I would just start working on it I'd stand up from the piano and walk away and it was like there was something bigger than me inside my body walking Mm. me away from this thing and it's because that's too traumatic so what I had to do is go traveling I had to come back and I had to actually walk as buffalo do I had to run into the storm I had to take it to the absolute um metaphorical extreme of dying Mm. and then I could write the song. So you've mentioned a couple of times, like I don't, I don't want to dwell on this, I'll talk about this as much as you want to, but you've mentioned trauma mm. as a concept. You've mentioned mm. going to therapy. You've mm. mentioned being stalked more yes. than, by more than one person, yes. on more than one occasion sure. uh, over a long period. Mm. And then you have your own... Well, you have your own story around... Relationship history as well. Yeah, and then you have your own story around... Um, blindness sure. and how and how you've operated in the world around that and you also have your own story around recovery sure these are things that could stop and and you and you mentioned the word ptsd or the term sure. ptsd 
these are things that could stop anyone in their tracks from ever creating. Unless you turn the shit to fertilizer, yeah, yeah. and that's what it's about. Yeah. So I have no time for people who haven't lived a life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, you know, Sonia Yalich is mm. an amazing writer. Lord's mum, mm, Alice mum. And I'm really interested also in Lorena Harding, mm-hmm. who's um, Aldous or Hannah's mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, amazing who's a, writers. Who's a writer and a musician in her yes, own right. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring that up is because women of a certain age, of which I am the certain age yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, wow, we actually have a lot to say. And it's not just trauma you can actually call it experience Mm, mm. you know and i i really like what happens in terms of the capacity that we have through the creative um process to transform and that's exactly what happens with a lot of my poems is they have a twist in their tail Mm, mm. like i've got a poem called afraid of angels and i'd love i'd love because yeah like you were saying about the prolific nature of my Mm. poetry i did to help a friend out write a poem a day four years Mm. um, because I encouraged them to take a photo a day Mm -hmm. and uh, it worked but it also is a wonderful thing to show you Bill and um, and Guy Clark who then only wrote in collaborative um, situations that you actually have more to say than you realize but you have to do little twisted fire starters like timed writing Mm. so what I have is one that's like the object writing from Pat Patterson who is the teacher of amazing um, songwriters like um, Gillian Welsh and, and Sylvie Lewis and, and mm. just and John Mayer, but who's going to talk about that? Um, you know, he has this wonderful thing where you use eight senses, uh, if you include the sixth sense, which is intuition, kinetic and organic sense, as well as the five senses working over time. And you write about an object only using your senses for 10 minutes, but you've also got five minutes. This is one of my own kamikaze writing tools, which is like get a title from something because I did a lot of three-word poems because mm. it was just easy because mm. I thought, here's a stash in case I'm not, I haven't got, I got nothing, mm. right? So How Dare You was a three-word poem. It's really good. Uh, it became a longer poem, but it can just stay there as three, mm. three words. And you use the title and you write from a title a free verse poem for five minutes. It's gold. Mm. Doing it in classes of people, and it's just like, God, I love you all. Because it's, everyone's so talented. And it's really interesting revisiting stuff and, and recognising that the idea can last and be reworked. Like, I've got into that lately. I've had longer poems that have suddenly become three lines. And then I've had three or four line poems that have suddenly gone, no, I actually want to explore that. And suddenly it's two or three pages. Beautiful. And they're essentially about the same thing. Yeah. And, but obviously they... That now I've got two poems instead of one. Isn't that wonderful? And it's cool. Yeah. And I and I and I don't know which one. And I I don't know which one I like more. You know. I don't. I don't have, you don't to. have Some, to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Please yeah. don't judge your babies. Yeah. Yeah. I just, or even you judge. Just, you just create them, and it's for other people to decide whether yeah. they mean anything to them or not. And you just do them. Yeah. And this is gold because this is where you, as a writer, are so helpful to other writers. And that's that camaraderie Mm. and that network that I want to get because I want it to be like a peer support thing. And the reason I was talking about recovery before is because the idea of having a blind pride network um, and having uh, a songwriter support network (laughs) is just so we can actually um, share Mm. our experience. Lived experience is so powerful. Like Mm. you do not have people in drug and alcohol counseling. We shouldn't. Mm. who weren't themselves addicts. Yeah. Because yeah. why the, should I listen to what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, you've got you no know? lived experience. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's the same thing with blindness, but unfortunately there are a lot of well-meaning people who work for <laughs> charities who, like, haven't got a 
freaking clue mm. about uh, you know how self-determined and how pathologically independent mm. a lot of blind people become. Mm. How did you get into vocal coaching? I mean, I know how you got into it. You're a singer. But, oh, and, you know. And it's a job and everything. But outside of that, like. Sure. Yeah. It was because. Because you've um, done it a long time. Yeah. It was actually, I, I started late because I've got a master's in politics and I was doing a lot of um, campaign management for, for our other things like mm. campaign against the commercial sexual exploitation of children. And that completely burnt me out. Mm. So I actually went to um, coaching by accident because it was actually just a friend of mine who. Um, who wanted me to sing because they liked the way... I mean, wanted me to teach them because they liked the way I sang. Mm. And I actually had my first bout of nodules in 92. And so what I wound up doing was, from singing in a punk band, The Sound of Mucus, as mm. well as singing with tonsillitis and laryngitis and all the <laughs> things that you're not supposed to do. Mm. Bad. Now I know that. But what I realised from the actual recovery from that is that voice clinics don't deal with high performance your voice professional voice users mm. like myself mm, mm. they don't have like if you've got three different kinds of onset they're only going to give you the the um well they're not going to give you the two throat based ones but they're basically not going to explain it in a language that perhaps singers would be better able to uptake mm. um because we've got to move everything out of the throat get it up into the head so it was just hard one. Once again, it's 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 experiential. Mm. So I've lost my voice so many times. I've had a cyst surgically removed from my vocal cords. You know, there's so much stuff going on in terms of my um, my vocal experience, and it's all there to teach, mm. right? Because mm. a lot of it is traumatic, especially what's been going on. I've I've been recently learning about Feldenkrais because my body, due to the trauma, has been so tense that I can't resonate. So I needed a Peter Gabriel sledgehammer to come mm, in and just, mm. it felt like concrete. And concrete can't resonate. We need, we're drums. Mm, so we mm. need as much open space. So I'm doing Feldenkrais and realizing that if you free your pelvis, your jaw unlocks. Who knew? It's fascinating. Mm. And I'm also writing my next column for New Zealand Musician about chakras and the energy centers in the body and how they relate to to vocal production. Um, and that's that's an interesting thing because also they're energy centers mm. so they will give you energy mm. so there is the esoteric element to it but you know the throat chakra Vishuddhi means filtration system or purification system it's in charge of hearing you know the throat is in charge of listening mm. yeah mm. that's the sense Mulidhara which is the root chakra is in charge of smelling mm. <laughs> the nose <laughs> and then between the, the hips the sacral is in charge of the tongue so it's interesting the way that relates freeing up the pelvis and then the tongue gets mm -hmm. or jaw gets released right it's like wow sanskrit's been saying that for millennia wow <laughs> which is yeah. really interesting stuff to me at least mm -hmm. but yeah i got into it because i'm a socialist i just want everyone to have the means of production if you're eating cat food and and, and sleeping in your car i'll teach you for free i teach a lot of people for free if they can't afford it um which is not good business practice at yeah, all yeah, and i yeah. don't advise it but yeah, I'm really, really passionate about helping people. Well, you are learning something yourself from doing that too. You know, you are getting something from it, not just the gift that you're giving, but it's your practice all yeah. round. So, you know, yeah. you know, yes, it's not a great business model to say, oh, I'll teach you for free. But, 
you yourself are going to learn something, even just in the conversation you have with the person and, sure. and, and what sort of energy they have. Yeah. Um, something is going to come. I mean, you might get a poem from it, but you, you might. <laughs> it sometimes bites your arts, because. <laughs> oh, no, I like that. It bites I, your arts. I, I, I can't, yeah. <laughs> It comes from um, it comes from what we were talking before about a generational thing. Yeah. Now, millennials. I hate to say this. Oh gosh, I'm getting judgy. <laughs> but the cliche is that millennials are very entitled, mm-hmm. and that has actually been my experience. So it backfires on you when you're offering something for free to a millennial who could afford it. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, is sure. just taking it and not even receiving it. Yeah, yeah. So the problem is teaching for me is completely neutral it's nothing to do with me it's everything to do with the principles i'm teaching so they are like the holy scriptures they are very very powerful things i still am humbled by them i use them whenever something's going away i know i need to use more of the technique that i teach Mm. right and the basic principles and so of of acoustic engineering um so unfortunately with singers as opposed to actors, because the best um, vocal coaches are acting coaches as opposed to singing coaches, because singers get really neurotic and, oh my gosh, you know, am I off key? Am I going to look ugly when I when I pull that face? And it's like, give a fuck, you know? Mm-hmm. You've got you've to go in there and be incredibly sonically focused mm. and do whatever it takes with your body, Joe Cocker styles, to actually get you that... that um, realization of whatever it is that you're after you know and there's so much capacity and we dumb that down so we actually have a a gift of a capacity or a god-given range of four octaves whether or not you choose to use that more for men Mm -hmm. but basically you know i didn't believe that was the case until i started singing lower because i wanted to do i hope i never in the original key (laughs) (laughs) which starts actually lower than my um it starts on a b uh, lower than um, my C before uh, C on below middle C, which was my previous lowest note, because I love the bottom end and I love exploring range, and that's something that I do a lot of. Like I'm, you know, getting up to high, high Fs above high C and mm. stuff like that is lots of fun. It's just a, a bit of a laugh, you know, because we can play with mm. the instrument, and and I want people to have that means of production. Mm-hmm. So that's where it becomes Marxian alienation because we are. We're alienated from our means of production when we have our beautiful babies taken off like the calf to the slaughter and sold by the record company. Thanks, Joni Mitchell, which golden egg, you know, <laughs> um, uh, will we'll sparkle for them so, but um, or glitter or whatever she said. But, mm. you know, we are alienated from what we produce. Yeah, yeah. Not so with various things like poetry. You have way more con- creative control. You just go, hey, I've written my poems. You get an editor, they can help you out. Hopefully the editor's on your side. Not someone from the company who's telling you you have to rewrite the whole thing or co-write with someone else or mm. that's not coming out for three years or you've got to change and get a boob job and change the cover art. I was actually told by a certain public publicity organization that I had to get rid of the footsteps, reduce the amount of songs, and change the cover art. I bet. That doesn't surprise me. And those are the things that are important about it to you. I mean, yeah, I, and I, obviously the there's, there's lots of, you know, everything's important, but those are the things that mark it as yours and you, and that, exactly. that that's why this is something you've created. And not, why it's taken so long. Yeah, and, and also, and why it's important to you, but also those are the, 
those are your fingerprints. Those are the things only you could put in mm. place on it. That's your vision, your idea. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, well so, said. So of course you're going to ha- you know, take your time to have that. The audio description. Oh, I'm going to give know. you another one. He's ripped it. I don't know that I ripped it. I think it turned up like that. Oh, no. I'm going to give you another I'd say one. A postman, I'm sorry about I'd that. I'd say a postman ripped it. Oh, bastards. <laughs> okay, so basically what's on the front cover mm. is my shadowed... almost silhouetted self with a setting sun taken at an angle that's slightly higher than um, Adam Muir, the photographer Mm. since passed, was standing on the top of a ladder and I'm looking at the centre of a labyrinth which is a um, a brick cross and people looked at that shot and there's a lens flare and I really want to keep the lens flare that's the moral of the story No, it's a great, I mean, you know, the Braille thing is very cool but just the actual cover shot is amazing Well, people said about this First up, who killed your babies? They said it's the cemetery shot. They said that's ugly. They said that's too depressing. All this stuff about it. And you had a couple of people in there, but the vast majority of people looking at it didn't like it. And I like it because it's got a certain something to it. And exactly, then, it's intriguing. It's yeah. got, you know, you can't exactly work. You want to know, mm. looking at that, because you've created an actual old school artifact, you've mm. made a... a, a a physical product with music on it. Mm. Um, you want to know how and why that might relate to the songs. Why has the person who's this is me speaking? Mm. I look at this as soon as I got it. I mean, you'd you'd messaged me and I knew a bit about mm. it and I knew it was coming. But when it turned up, I looked at it and I went, you know, how is this going to relate to this music? Why is this? Why is this being chosen? And you don't you don't do that when you click on a thumbnail and press play on something. You just don't. No. You know, and I mean, I grew up with you know, like like a lot of people, I grew up with records and just yes. and just pouring through yeah. originally my parents' record collection, and it was fascinating to see the covers and what the hell were they, and why were they so lurid, or why were they funny, or why were they frankly quite boring, you know? And that's what an interesting thing about judgment because I never saw a picture of Joni yeah, Mitchell yeah, yeah. because the first album I got was Ladies of the Canyon, yes, which only has it didn't I guess yes, it's I, not a defined. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, I I got it secondhand, um, and I don't know if it has liner notes, but certainly mm. the one I had didn't. It probably did because she likes to have as many gatefold sleeves as possible because she always yes. does cover up herself. Yeah, yeah. But there just wasn't a picture of her on it. And then I got caught in Spark, and you can barely see the picture of her. It's just yes. mostly her lipstick. And yeah, um, the first one I got was Caught in Spark, and it's mm, and I've still got her that mm, copy, mm, but it was ripped to bits too, like mm, the actual because um, it opens the other way, doesn't yes. it? And that's ripped off. And I just, yes. I mean, it was a dollar or something, and yeah. I, I didn't really know much about Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I just knew I needed to dive in. Yes, so it was a good first record. To Isn't get that too. great? Yeah, because yeah. it went. The sequence for me went Ladies of the Canyon, Caught in Spark, mm. um, Hissing of Summer Lawns, um, Gosh. Clouds. Oh no! Then I would have gone into Mingus. I would have gone into um, uh, Turbulent Indigo. Wow! Um, you know all of them. Fascinating. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. Blue. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Last, almost. You know, one of the last ones. I I I knew some of the songs, but you know, it was oh, and and yeah, like when I was sixteen, my boyfriend at the time had. Oh, Shadows and Shadows and Light. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is actually a really interesting album. I mean, like. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. though, isn't it? When you arrive at so he, I just I think it was two years ago. 
I listened to the Simon and Garfunkel album Bridge Over Troubled Water for the first time. Now, I'm a massive Paul Simon fan. I'm a massive Simon and Garfunkel fan. I think there was only one song on Bridge Over Troubled Water I had not heard, but I had never heard it as an album. That is interesting. Until about that's... two years ago. And that is like yeah. really their most famous I know. Album. So that was the album I didn't have That is either. like not hearing blue yeah. until yeah. at the end of the Joni Mitchell So the Mitchell first run. one I had was Wednesday mornings, 3 a.m. Yeah, same. Then I had Parsley Sage when I was very in time. Yeah. I had bookends. Yeah. I, I mean, like, this is me being in such a fucking um, yeah. sound of silence. And I, I was upset with the sound of silence. Yeah. Because it had the drum track superimposed yeah, on yeah, top yeah, of it. Yeah. Whereas on... Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. It's just uh, acoustic. It's just acoustic. Yeah. So this is now the Simon and Garfunkel Geek Hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my God. Seriously. Oh, I, I was going to, you know, uh, you, you quoted Hearts and Bones, so I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get into Paul Simon at some point. Oh, hell point. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, talk about songwriting, right? Yeah. Okay, so there is no surprise that they're heavy hitters. Mm. The people who I absolutely love are really heavy hitters. But then... So is Joan Vassa from Jonah's Policewoman. Mm. Do you know she's sat right where you're sitting? No! Oh, my <laughs> I God! Knew, I knew you were a fan, and I was going to tell you that, but then I thought, well, I won't just spring that on you. But oh, my God. Now you've mentioned her. She you, sat right where you were Jesus sitting. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. you know when, when you said, um, I'm going to wet myself? I actually probably am going to have to pause so I can pee. Yeah. But seriously, I do like four or five of her wow. songs. And when we're touring, we'll be doing them as well. Mm, But I met her in, because I flew to Sydney, because I knew she wasn't going to come to New Zealand, Mm. but she did. Mm. And and I spoke with her after the show, and she didn't actually know where Auckland was. (laughs) And I felt really, or New Zealand, actually, for that matter. Mm. Now she wants to emigrate here. Yeah, And I met her after the the gig in Auckland, because I was reviewing that one. Right. And I asked her, you know, can I interview you about songwriting? Because mm. in this book, my dream yeah. is to interview all those people who are my heroes. That includes Declan O'Rourke, yeah, who, yeah. who who I just love as a songwriter. Um, and I did support for him in Limerick. And, and Paul Brady, who oh, I reviewed yeah. his concert when he came here yeah. for the Wellington Festival. That's right. Didn't I ever come that. to Auckland. Yeah. And wound up entertaining he and his wife Mary because um, he came through Auckland and... I, I had dinner with them in, in Dublin. I mean, like, oh, my gosh, that's the kind of network that I want everyone mm. to be able to sort of access. I, I feel like a but, wanker for saying this, but it's like we are there to support each other. Yeah, but Joan will talk to you about songwriting all day, right? She's a, she is a fan. And, and the first thing she did when she came in here, because, oh, it's gone now. It's in my son's room, but I had a massive picture of um, Bob Dylan from the documentary, like him, him leaning on the car. And she was just like, oh, that's my favourite Bob Dylan picture. And she just talked to me for about 15 minutes about Bob Dylan and how that was all she was listening to when she wasn't on stage and that they played it, you know, they played it in between sets and she was just... And I just, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll talk about Bob Dylan all day as well. So that was pretty cool. Like, I just... I don't know why. I wouldn't say that I didn't expect that, but it was just great that she was into that. But... Yeah. Is there a podcast that I Yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I sent you the link. Yeah, yeah. So that's why she was here. So God. she came for that show and I asked um, Kurt if she would be up for chatting and he said, I reckon, you know, I reckon she would be. And then we organised, I got her on um, RNZ and she did a chat with Jessie on RNZ. Mm. And then Kurt said, um, this is a bit cheeky, but um, could you actually drive her up to radio and then she's got a couple of other media things, Can you, you know, and one of them will be at your place, your thing, but can you drive her? So I was her driver for the day. So it was quite a funny way to um, meet her. 
and pick her up and and take her to these couple of interviews and then she came around here and had a cup of tea and we had a chat and then uh, it might have been the next night she did the show here but so then we saw the then we saw the show and she gave me a shout out from the stage which was nice (laughs) she is my queen yeah Yeah, no she was great I was um, wrapped Mm -hmm. to meet her and speak to her because and I I had this thing which I was in my back pocket I was like I don't know if I'm going to do this or not but I picked her up from the hotel to take her up to RNZ and I was thinking, I've got this story about how I connected with her on, um, what was it, pre-MySpace, uh, pre-Facebook. Yeah. And, um, and, I, um, and I was like, oh, you know, if things are, this may go well, it may not, so I, I won't lead with that. But what I got in, she got in the car, and I think I was listening to the Lemonhead CD or something, and it was really loud, and... I forgot and I just sort of turned the car engine on and blasted out and she was just she just grabbed for the steering she was like uh, do you mind and flicked it down and she's got her sunglasses on and stuff and I thought oh god this isn't going very well <laughs> this is a bad this is a bad start sensory so I, overload yeah with Bosa, I just said sorry about that and we took off and then she, she sort of muttered something to me and then I said to her you won't you know I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird you won't remember this but um, back in the MySpace days I messaged you because I reviewed your first album and you said something about New Zealand. Um, it'd be cool to go there one day. And I said, yeah, you know, you should. It'd be great. It'd be great for you to come out here. People will be real keen. And I said, you know, here we are over a decade later. Not only are you here, but um, you're in my car. And she reached into the uh, thing and got me this real life Jonas Policewoman sticker and said, I don't have many of these stickers left, but you're a true fan. Here you go. And so we were fine. You know, that was like, we're fine. Oh it's going to go. It's going to, the day's going to go okay. So that was pretty good. Wow. So I was like, I'm glad I had that story. It could have really backfired and sounded a bit creepy, but it wasn't meant to. You no, know, so was, long as you get the good review in there. Yeah. That's all. That's it. Exactly. I mean, real life is like gold. It's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. Every single song. So I do I anyone and I do. Um, uh, the ride off that one. Oh yeah. Um, but Beautiful. also um, warning bell. Yeah. Start of my heart. But you know, I should I should sing you my interpretations of them because they yeah. they they really stretch them. Like start of my heart, I'm making it so much longer. Like that wow. first note. Yeah. Yeah. You. You chained me down and you taught me the damage I've done. Can you show me the way to my heart? And it's just like... It's like stroking a cat because mm. the cat likes it and you like it. So everyone's happy because you've got these long phrases and it, you know, it brings down your blood pressure. Oh. 
Yeah, man, I've got a signed one from her. Um, and I've got a couple of the, uh, actually a, a guy in Japan who I know a little bit, um, I mean, I've not met him, but I know him online. He messaged me and said, oh, I loved your chat with Joan. Let me send you a couple of, um, I found these singles. So he sent me a couple of singles from the first oh, oh. album. That Do he you got know what now. I got? You're going to love, you're going to love. I found the Jonas Police Woman um, first eponymous. Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. On yeah, wow. That's a thing. So I've got all the stuff on vinyl now. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I've only got the first record and these singles, it's but it's lovely. Very good. Oh, yeah, man, she's so it's great. It's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of got a lightning bolt all the way through. It's very, very plain packaging. Mm -hmm. It's just brown. Um, no, I, lo I love all of her stuff. Uh, yes, I more than love. I don't know. <laughs> I worship. Actually, I worship in a door. I do worship. Well, it would have really spoken to you because... Um, Essentially, she's doing. Uh, she's doing her own thing. You're doing your own thing. But you would have heard it and gone, "This is completely in the wheelhouse. This is someone who's got." Do you know what? She's a contemporary. Yeah, that's what it is. That's right? what I mean. This I was is what say, it is. You're a similar age. You're a similar. I really want to. Yeah. I really want to address that. Right? Yeah. Is is the issue of the the contemporaries who. Um, we have the same lived experiences back to that yeah. you know she lost jeff buckley yes. but yeah. i mean like i'm not anywhere in that yeah, league yeah yeah but i know that she's, she's got a recovery story she's yeah. you know she's completely sober and she's been through that yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and yeah. She, and you would have had you know the influences that you would have would yes. have hit you yes in the same Sugar Hill Gang for sure, and she's heavily, yeah, heavily into that. They would have hit you at similar times exactly. in your lives. You're living, you don't know each other. You're living in different parts of the world, doing, yeah. but you're doing the same thing in your different ways. Yeah, and something, there's something about that, right? Like it really exactly, and it's astrological as well. Oh my god, because um, <laughs> I'm totally up the ass of astrology right now. Yeah. I, I love the fact that. Um, uh, you know, well, she says origami dog, so she's clearly maybe even referencing perhaps uh, Chinese astrological mm -hmm. star signs because she's a dog. Mm -hmm. um, 1970, you're the dog. I'm a pig, metal pig. Anyway. Um, I thought the coolest thing about her was that she owns an old police car. That's what she drives around in. Is that the one that's used in the video? Yeah, that's her car. No, shit. <laughs> oh, I want to go to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing is... She's like, I walk everywhere, of course, but of I've course. got a garage with a car. I've got this police oh car, gosh. and that's my car. So, <laughs> so she's definitely one of those individuals who I want to interview about songwriting. Mm, oh, she'll do it. Sylvie Lewis, who was the student of mm. Pat Patterson, who actually CC'd us in an, in, mm. in an email together... I really want to interview her about songwriting because she's off the hook amazing. Mm. Um, there's Karen Ann who I'd like to interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. I loved one of yeah. her records. I think I only knew one, one of them, but it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. So I use, actually, speaking of covers, I use uh, one of her songs. Um, gosh, I wonder which one it is. It's the one about um, all referencing all those um, uh, art artists. Uh, Rothko and oh yeah, I you know I think yeah, it's, yeah. it will be yeah. the same album for sure yes, because I think so. we used to um, I mean Grant Smithies give mm. me my word magazines back he still has my <laughs> yeah. word magazines that I lent to him with the you know the CDs that used to go yeah, with them yeah 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 because I almost had every single publication yeah, yeah. of that, that over was a the great year yeah. wasn't it yeah see this is the reason why I mean I, I guess you could say oh duh because of the word being the lyric mm. but you know there are a lot of people who just don't 
go there. They just don't allow themselves to. And I think songwriters, you are totally chopping off limbs if you think that um, you can write songs that don't have poetic lyrics. So where do you sit with someone like Nora Jones? Is she of interest to you? I love her. Because, yeah, I think her her career... I think she's adorable. I'd give her a big squeeze. I think her second half of her career is amazing too. I really think she's... Yeah, I mean, God, the she's first probably step, Shankar's daughter. I mean, yeah, look, yeah, she can't yeah. Do what's wrong. not like what's not to be interested in about that, right? Like that's fascinating on its own. But, and Anushka. Yeah, but you know, the first record kind of bored me after a while because I worked in music retail and I saw her play. And Snora I thought, Jones, you know, she can't yeah, help that. But she was pushed. On that's people. it. You, you go, man. She was twenty-two or something like that, and um, you know, whatever. And then I just think the way she's rebuilt her career to suit herself and put these records out when she wants to mm. and explore different things. And and she used um, Bill Withers' drummer, James Gadsden. So, you know, that's pretty cool. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. As, a, as a musician, I love what she's doing as well over yes. lockdown. Yeah, what yeah. she's been doing is just, yeah. like, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So gorgeous. And she's moved into that whole thing of, like, just releasing singles and then packaging singles up and going, huh? Here, here's your EP, here's seven songs. These okay. were singles. This is if you you told me you wanted an album. Here they are. Okay. Releasing them one at a time Fair first, cool. and Fair then going cool. well. You do want some sort of product, so okay. Here they are. I think that's really cool. Speaking of which, um, Imogen Heap does yeah. some really interesting work on that in yeah. terms of like allowing her fan base to really um, on Sparks. I think the oh, album. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, what an amazing album! Full stop. But each song was like, it was a month that she spent on each song, I believe, and made a video for each song as well. But they were basically allowing the fan base to choose the words that she was deriving the wow. lyrics from. And, and it was so active. And, you, and she traveled as Someone well. else you should interview on songwriting is Amy Mann. Indeed! Especially, yeah. <laughs> especially um, what is it, that one that I absolutely adore, which is um, Mental Health. Oh, or, yeah, what yeah, is it called? Yeah. Mental Illness? Yeah. Yeah, What's the, it called? The, the, that's the name of the record. Yeah, yeah, so the first album on that, I mean, sorry, the first song, um, Goose Snow Cone. Oh, beautiful, oh I know. God. Have you interviewed her? No, I haven't. I'd love to. She's actually really, um, well, I shouldn't say actually with any surprise, I've heard her interviewed and she, and a couple of times, and she's got this great um, kind of connection to... Um, the comedy? comedy scene and yeah. stuff, yeah, that's really husband. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just and really great hearing that. Absolutely. Like, what I loved was actually because she's done a little bit of acting and things. You know, she's in the Big Lebowski. She's, but you she's know. she's such a beautiful singer. I yeah, mean, that's the oh. thing that totally screws. Uh, she's the best. Okay, because the thing is, a lot of people I've never got it yet, and I, I'm sorry about this, but I packaged her up with. Fiona Apple. Yeah. Fiona Apple and Amy Mann, I guess they maybe came out or the, they were the kind sort of, of presented probably were as, presented as, as a one. similar time. Are yeah. they both blonde? I think they probably are. Okay, yeah. so the thing about I just never got Fiona Apple and I think she was the one who couldn't sing in tune. Mm. No offense. I but, was about the same, but I do like that new record. That the lockdown the thing that came ah, out during lockdown. I've heard the, that. The, I love that. And I've got to be honest, that I wasn't really on board until that. Yeah. So you well, should give that great. one a go. Okay, this yeah. is good. Okay, because I just don't want to give it any I mean, more I've gone back and listened, I've gone back and listened to the other records since and gone, oh, I can hear a bit more in them now than they're not anywhere near as uninteresting as I felt at the time. Right. But it's the new one that's the right. one. Yeah. And that, that really plays into experience as well. Mm, yeah. Because who knows, maybe she actually hadn't lived yeah. prior to that point. Yeah, but, well, I think it is a bit like that Nora Jones thing, that she was a similar age, and, and I think, she, you know, and she, the first record came out in a similar sort of way, and this is what we want you to do. Sure. And then she totally rebelled She's from that and rebuilt yeah. herself. Yeah. 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 And, and Amy Mann, I believe, now hopefully I'm getting this right, mental illness might actually be when she was like, 
like 56 or even older. Yeah, it's definitely, she's in her mid-50s, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I loved that. I, I just, I, I was really inspired Like, I mean, people that. have lots of other, I mean, and obviously all of her records have something magical on them and I like all of them but that one spoke to me on a level that the others Same. didn't and oh I was like gosh. you know this is late career brilliance good call good yeah. call because actually and let's not say late career yeah well because my late career, in her career kind for now, of but yeah. is just starting it's true in yeah. that I've been doing it a long time but I've been invisible and what I actually want to do is I don't have like that confidence thing you're talking about but mm. also the drive the ambition to say everybody know me know me as a household name Klaus know me um, I want to be actually just able to cohese and to explain for people so that we don't all fall apart because you know Jessica Hoop talked about her writing room as the torture, I mean, her, her, her music room is, is the torture chamber. You know, we have to get real before there's actual more suicides than there mm, are. Mm. Because within the artistic realm, I won't call it an industry or artistic, I mean, a, mm. a creative industries, I'll say artists themselves are so prone, prone to the self-doubt and this, um, you know, at times, it is, you know, the suicidal ideation that I had when, first when I was 12, you know, I have had to live with the levels of self-hatred that are just, at the moment, so full-blown because of what I've been uh, just recently triggered by. You know, you wake up with, with I hate you, I hate you, I hate you on your brain in mm. the morning, and it's, like, really hard to push that away. If you actually had heard people you really love and admire say, yeah, that's me too, I think it would be immensely, yeah, I, really, it would provide some solidarity, much needed solidarity, because also what's happening specifically to musicians is what Spotify's doing, which is killing us, mm -hmm. killing us economically. Mm -hmm. So we can't live because we can't actually feed ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that expectation that music is something we never have to pay for would be likening, you know, someone who goes into a coffee shop and oh, I don't have to pay for coffee. Mm. I can get it at home. So why should I pay for it here? Mm. Screw that. You know, it's like, ah, uh, because yeah, yeah. we make it well. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, have you, you know, you've had your um, personal setbacks that, or, or, you know, obstacles that you you're you are continuing to deal with but have you um has there been frustration around you know why am i not better known better received why am i not uh you know booked more why am i not well i don't have a manager yeah and i haven't had a manager and i've had a lot of people say things that infer so much like you're unmanageable and um yeah. So that just further sets you back and sends you into those spirals yeah. you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That just feeds into that, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's another thing for your head to wrestle with. <laughs> Why am I unmanageable? Is that true? It's not true. Yeah, I know, I know, but that, that you, you, you have to spend some time thinking that, right? Exactly. And, um, and processing that, yeah. Yeah. And my way of processing it, uh, well, no, I won't tell you how I process that. <laughs> I bit, literally bit the hand of the person who said that. I don't know how his hand, same ex, it's <laughs> right into my mouth, didn't draw blood, wasn't painful at all, apparently. It's just like so weird, because as soon as I realized what was going on, I went, ah. I kind of released it, like, oh my God, what the hell? But that's what you get when you haven't got a voice, mm. when you're not heard. When you're invisible. You get desperate. Mm. You have to get desperate, because mm. you, 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 it can, you know, I'm not going to say it becomes violent, because I'm not a violent person, mm -mm. but, you know, the thing about, um, apart from biting, 
once. Okay, anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the management, I think, in New Zealand, that's another reason why I want to talk mm. to Scott McLaughlin. And I want to talk to Paul McKessa because they actually, they may have made some mistakes, but let's not judge. Let's actually allow these men to actually, I'm not going to say redeem themselves because that sounds patronizing, doesn't it? But they could, they could actually make amends to helping specifically women because women in particular need more help with representation because we cringe. There is a huge gender chasm between my students in terms of people who will back themselves and people who will not back themselves, people who put themselves forward and people who never put themselves forward. In fact, there was something in a, a Facebook group about the New Zealand women industry and women in, in music industry group with an X instead of an E in women, and um, which is interesting. I don't know how to say it, but uh, the, the thing was they were talking about how Homegrown Festival has like 0.0% <laughs> female mm. representation. Mm. And they were saying, you know, we need to put ourselves forward for festivals and for um, for different awards and, and grants and stuff. But we're not putting ourselves forward as women. And the advice was, think like a 21-year-old white male rock god. Six, six, but, six, six, um, but, 660, yeah, yeah, because, because if they... if they. not even say it. It was getting me choked. <laughs> trying to even, you know, you could hear how the You're words... Being triggered, didn't, Simon. I've You're been being triggered, triggered by you early on about that, and the words didn't want to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Do you know, actually, no, it's interesting. I personally, and I'm you're going to just... I don't know how you're going to take this, but I've actually never heard 660. Well, I haven't either, really. I mean, that's the funny thing. I've, I've, I've heard... Um, I heard two songs... That was it. Before they put an album out, I wrote a piece about them that seemed to go gangbusters, and then everyone pegged me as a person who doesn't like them, which is fine because I don't. Like I'm not backtracking that. And then I watched the documentary recently because my blog that I wrote is probably the most interesting thing about the documentary. It's in there, and it's probably the <laughs> the best thing about the documentary, frankly. And that's my knowledge of six sixty. That's it. Of course, because they're not for me. I don't need to, well, you know. It's I, really interesting because it just ties in beautifully with um, musicians and songwriters mm. and how musicians and songwriters think about each other, mm. salute each other. There's a beautiful Carlos Santana <laughs> quote, which is the soul always salutes the soul, right? So, you know, I just don't think I'm going to have the Joan Vassa moment mm -mm. with any members of 660. You're not. No. Because it's back to that, how does our lived experience mm. and our perspective um, translate into the art we make? Mm. And that doesn't mean no, that you, all all women are going to be for me either, you know? It, no. it doesn't mean all women of a certain age are going to be for me. Yeah, you, you, Brooklyn. you might listen to the new Fiona Apple album on my recommendation and still think, I don't get her. Yeah. And that's fine. Sure. But I definitely would encourage that. Yeah. That that, that would be the one that would win yeah. you over of any of sure. them, I think. Or, and, be, or that you would find interesting. You would get what she was trying to do with that. And it's an, it's it's basically... An openness, which mm. we have to be if we're learning anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So I teach, and I have to keep myself incredibly open and porous because there's always new information. Mm. And when I was recovering from nodules, I had to document that because the way they're treating nodules now is completely different to how they treated them in 92. Mm. And if I hadn't been through that experience and then gain all the knowledge that I subsequently did through all my own researching and teaching, then I wouldn't have been able to recover. Because they were saying, oh, you don't have to be vocally silent. Say mm. what? Yes, you do. Um, and also they don't want to get rid of nodules. 
because they don't have any compassion for the fact that actually as a professional voice user, oh yes you do. Mm. And a teacher, and then what they were talking about is managing consequences, so they would say to the teacher, talk less. That's like saying to a dancer, dance less. You yeah. can't. You know, and that's really, so what I'm saying is, I think of the, of the songwriters that I love and respect, we're doing the same thing. But for those people who are inhabiting a different functional space, like, for example, providing music as entertainment and music as a means of um, providing um, background sounds to stuff and having a beat or making people dance or giving something, you know, there are all these different reasons and they're perfectly legitimate. It doesn't have to be that oh, music provides you as a one-stop shop with all your needs satisfied. Mm -mm. But for me it does just because I've got a lot of needs that are satisfied by certain kinds of music and certain writers because they provide me with um, so much comfort, so much knowledge, so much um, wisdom, uh, interest. It's a salve for the soul. Um, does give you something to root to. Just kidding. Um, it can make you dance, of course. You know, there's so many different things that you can use music for. So therefore, we mustn't become too judgy because mm. for every saddle there's an ass you know now way back in the day you were a vocal coach for true bliss yes. on the pop stars yes tv documentary yes show it's only taking you two hours to get around to that uh, well I, well I, I, it hasn't taken me two hours it was on the tip of my tongue when you turn up but i'm being respectful and treating you like a, an actually interesting artist and not a footnote in new zealand tv music history <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what I am. I know. Until well, that's, that's audio why... culture interviewing yeah, me, that's yeah. all I am. How was it? Like, was it was it something that was worth doing? What? Well, it was traumatic was it, because was what traumatic? happened was I was fired because I advised that they get um, legal representation, but the same guy who was advising me, uh, gave me his card, was also representing Jonathan Dowling. So that's a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And I was on film, fired. And I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I knew the guy who made the film, but who was who was an editor on the film or a camera person mm. on the film or a producer or a director or something like that of the of the um, of the series. So I was training them, I was warming them up, and then they fired me. And that got it into um, Sunday Star Times article on why they fired me from mm. Troopless. It was, it was just, it's basically the industry again. Mm, you know, mm. a, an actually manufactured band. I mean, I do have some interesting things to say about manufactured bands. I mean, I think all of those young women were all really interesting and fascinating, beautiful people. And I know them individually. Mm. You know, fantastic, wonderful people. Um, but, you know... Um, Things like New Zealand Idol, things like New Zealand's Got Talent, they won't be coming back because mm. we hate on people so aren't hard. They, aren't they remaking pop stars with um, Kimbra? Really? I think she's coming in to, to do... I don't know if it's pop stars. I think it's pop stars. But they are going to have a go. And I was like, mm, that's interesting. Like, yeah. Because I, I completely agree with but you. But to be like, honest, it's not interesting. No. I, no, I, I completely agree with you that they really aren't coming back. Like, and that they won't work. But apparently they're going to mm. give this one a go. Well, that's interesting, though. Because what we're saying is, is actually... And beautiful the way it was so tightly nestled in there right next to talking about songwriting and musicianship. Mm. and what it is to sing 
as as real deep expression. Well, I couldn't ask you about it when you got here, otherwise you wouldn't play me Jonah's no, policewoman cover, sure. would you? You know, like yeah, <laughs> as but well. The, the thing is, though, what I'm saying is, yeah. there's gonna be eyeballs mm. for another remake of Pop Stars. Yeah, it's just the people who really care about their music won't be uh, viewing it mm. because they actually know that things like um, the manufacturer of all these things. I was backstage for New Zealand Idol, I think it was, and I was providing comfort for all these people where there was no comfort given, and it's just irresponsible bullshit. It's only a matter of time before there's suicides because yeah. you're playing fast and loose with people's dreams. Yeah. And, and sure, the more delusional, the more laughable it is, um, and the the less the more deficit in talent, the more fascinating it is for people to just point and laugh and and cringe. But you see, imagine oh. if I did that as a songwriter. I mean, as a singing teacher, I deal with people. I can posit exactly what's going on with their voice. I'm not saying you can't sing. Yeah, the same yeah. way a a personal trainer would not look at someone and laugh. They'd mm. say, "Well, we're going to work on abs gonna, today, yeah, yeah, right?" Gonna, yeah. You know. So what I'm doing is is actually providing way more interest in reality. And I actually think the best reality program would probably be attending one of my singing lessons. But look, I, I've I've dealt with um, I've dealt with uh, over the years record company people ringing me mm. up and telling me that I'm what's wrong with the New Zealand music industry and I'm hurting people when it's like. Mm. I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing. Mm. You guys, if anything, are the fucking assholes that are actually crushing dreams because you're right. elevating people first, yes. giving them nowhere to go, and as yes. you crucially said, no absolute no framework, no support yeah. for the giant fall. Yes. I, I'm judging them only on their music and saying, this is not for me and here's why. And yes. if I if I sometimes you know, use a Peter Gabriel sledgehammer to crack a walnut, so fucking be it. Like, you know, that, that might, and I've, I'm not saying I haven't said some things that are fucking awful, but, you know, I've said them about the work, not the person. Sure. And if they choose to see them as inseparable, I can, that's, that's for them to deal with, not me. Mm. I can't make those. But there are actually people that work, have worked for record companies in New Zealand that have rung me up and put it on me that I'm the bad guy doing the mm. devil's work and it's like, oh, you can just fuck off. Like, yeah. yeah. Good on you for taking... I mean, because the, the thing was, you know, okay, there's one thing to have constructive criticism, but the problem with the tall poppy syndrome mm, and mm. the unwarranted criticism mm. and the just really, really uh, crucifying people is um, of you saying... Peter Gabriel, um, Sledgehammer, you can say a Tori Amos crucify. Um, the crucifying <laughs> people is they're not going to record another New Zealand idol because people were giving the contestants death threats. Yes. And that doesn't happen in other places yeah. Yeah. because they don't have such a full-blown, absolutely pathologically sick yes. tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, yeah. So basically what happens is, and people, I've experienced it hugely, people come up to me and just tell me I hate you to my face. And I'm trying to qualify that and say, well, what's the problem exactly? And mm. they say, well, you're too intimidating. And there's nothing intimidating about me in the slightest. I'm the person hiding under the couch. I'm the person going, yay, I don't need to leave the house, you know, for level four. Mm. Yay, you know. And that's the reason why I think everything really, if we had more actual re revelation around the inner workings of what it is to be a creative without capture by and and alienation and destruction by the industry then 
we would have the most incredible wisdom to gain, you know, to help mm. ourselves with, which is back to the recovery programs because we're in it to help each other. Mm. You know, like, I don't know if you know Kate Welsh from um, Tim's house, but she was a Brighton-based amazing singer-songwriter. I mean, I've heard of her. She's done, yeah, she's, she's sort of moved into acting, eh? Ah, uh, no, there's a different Kate oh, Welsh. Okay. So oh, okay. Yeah, Kate Welsh, I think it might be a different spelling. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, she... But anyway, was, I know who you mean. I yeah. do know the singer-songwriter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she but, was actually posited with, um, or put with by a um, record company with members of Gomez, who were obviously on the same label. Mm. She just got so disillusioned with the industry that she now teaches songwriting at Brighton, Brighton Polytech. Mm. And, um, and in fact, the same thing happens all, all the time. Like, this is an amazing band called Amber Run, where um, a friend of mine who I met through one of my residencies is a shishi hotel, um, at a shishi hotel, rather mm. than as a, mm. sorry. Um, he, it's his son, and he was, he, they got signed to a major label and um, put out wonderful, you know, mm. I found love where it wasn't supposed to be. Right in front of me, right and talk some sense to me. It's just actually a really beautiful, so simple song. But they were burnt out, and they're in their early 20s. Mm, mm. You know, and, and the actual stuff that happens on things like BBC, uh, BBC One, the youth one, you are too old to play after the age of 21. Mm. It's crazy. You know, and I really want to get my CD to Guy Garvey, Garvey from Elbow oh, yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at um, Radio 6 somehow. He's great, isn't he? His, yeah. his radio stuff is amazing. So, I mean, if you've got any leads there. Nah. Man, I'm damn. Fuck, fuck, I, I'm, I'm, as, I'm, I'm actually unmanageable. And um, I'm... Uh, you actually are unmanageable. I am actually unmanageable. Oh. And that's why I found myself in the, in the marginalised position that I'm in, I think. Well... I think a lot of people would presume that you're in a position where you are managing, and I think that's the yeah. reason. Probably, oh, people people think that I made lots of money off writing about music. People think it was a really good. Who's pro- paying you? Uh, no, no one. Certainly and not it, the musicians. No. And it, was, it wouldn't be the record company. No, and, they hate you. and it was and and it was only ever a part time gig. You know, even when there were, you know, I always worked full time job as well. <laughs> it's amazing what people. <laughs> but that's what musicians have to do. Yeah, oh, totally. that's the, that's no, no, I'm not complaining, but it's amazing that everyone is expected to have some sympathy, if anything, for a, a, a well, yeah, a musician who might have to work a job on top of mm. doing their act, but they don't assume that someone else, like who's doing a sort of role like I've been doing, yes. would have to do the same. And you're a failure, and you're an absolute failure if you can't, you know, make it. Well, there was nothing to make. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know? What is making it though? Yeah. Because totally. that's back to the writer as well. Yeah. You know, I mean like Pip is spectacular because she Correct. has been recognized. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's also just fantastic that she has because there are many, many writers. Feels like a little bit of justice in the in, in that yeah. world, doesn't it? I agree. But what I'm saying, she's a representative and you, we know and love yeah. her. Yeah. But there are just as many who have not been awarded and have not totally. been celebrated who are of equal value. Oh, you totally. Know? And, and she's such a great champion too yeah. of, you know, exactly. of and other writers. And, yeah, her podcast is brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think what's happening is, is, is the space is really changing because what you're saying basically is... It's been that way for a long time for um, for sort of reviewers and that there hasn't been too mm. much payback. What's happening with this space in um, for musicians is everything's moved online, mm-hmm. right? So I don't exist really online because mm. I'm not very good with, um, with 
well, obviously the promotion, but terrible with the technology because of my vision. Mm, mm. So that's the other thing as well, is I've got big dreams of actually having stuff available of the vocal coaching being mm, on YouTube, mm. of getting some um, Patreon stuff maybe, so we can actually um, n not monetize because I don't like the idea. I like the yeah. fact that um, YouTube is just is just YouTube and, and, you know, it is what it is. But there's also... Um, what is it? You know, there's obviously crowdfunding, which is exhausting and stuff like that. But there's also, um, oh yeah, subscriptions. Because I was actually thinking of having like a poem a day, like I said, to yeah, actually yeah. record one yeah. and then have a subscription for yeah. that. There's all these crazy dreams that I've got where I could actually work with the technology. But I think, once again, part of that amazing alignment, if you happen, happen to be really, have an MBA, but also be a kick-ass songwriter, also be incredibly confident and a great performer, mm. um, and also technologically savvy. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, I'm wearing my Anthony Tonon Leave Love Out of It socks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just want to shout out to him, because yeah, he's someone he's... who actually does have the perfect storm of, of talent. And, yes, he's great. And love and, and goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's very good. Hey, I'm on low battery, and okay. we have had a, an amazing chat. We've got to and, stop. And, and, well, we can carry this on offline, of course, and yes. we can have a cup of tea and, and, and carry this on. But before this cuts out, is there anything that we should have... You know, I, I waited didn't. as long as I could to bring up the True Bliss thing. We didn't respect. talk about the album, well, but we, hey, we you can review it. We talked about the album a wee bit. I feel like we gave it a pretty good plug. Yeah, we definitely did. No, yeah. no, 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 it's no, it's no. And, and, and we've got to leave some mystique for oh, people true. to... Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, it's a and treat. Thanks for yeah, having me. Yeah, no worries. Oh, good, luck, good luck with your, um, with your everything, like with your... With your um, dreams to conquer apps that enable um, vision impaired and blind people. Good luck with your music career. Blind pride. Yes. Good luck with your um, introduction to Fiona Apple's best album. And and the tour. There's <laughs> yeah. an arts on tour yes. tour in, in the May. music month of May. Yeah, brilliant. Oh. Hey, thanks heaps. David played and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? No, do you? It goes like this There's a fourth and the fifth The minor fall The major lift The baffled king was composing Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.